Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're so glad that you're here. As always, I am your host, Lauren Ash. And as always, I am joined by my co-hostess with the most S, Christy Oxborough. How you feeling? I'm doing great. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. I got no complaints. No one's knocking and running off my doorstep hey. this week. So no follow-up repeaters. No repeat nothing offenders. Nothing so far. Nice. Nothing so far. Nice. Knock our space. Well, don't knock wood. Knock wood is like this is not your front door. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather it be the desk of the front door. You're yeah. right. You're right. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, listen, I got to get into a story right away because I'm dying to tell it. Oh, I can't wait. So this week, now, if you follow me on the socials, um, you'll know they that do. this week we had a Superstore cast reunion dinner. And there's currently a strike going on. From those who don't know, has been in the news for many, many months. Um, it's still going. Obviously, the actors are still on strike. So we thought, I was talking to my uh, dear friend, Ben Feldman, friend of the show, Ben Feldman, friend of the podcast. And uh, we were like, we should do a dinner because this is probably one of the few times we could get a really good turnout because no one's working. No one's working. Right. Of course. So we managed to get, again, a fantastic turnout. Within reason, you know what I mean? There was 11 of us there, um, plus our showrunner. And we're in this restaurant in Los Angeles that just so happens to be a converted older restaurant that I used to have my birthday parties at when I first moved to L.A. before I was on Superstore at all. And I walked in and I was like, this is wild. I know this place. This is so funny. So we were sat at a big, big table, just kind of like in the middle of the space of so this beautiful kind of indoor-outdoor patio space. And next to us, we're already all sat. And to keep in mind, it's the entire cast minus America Ferreira. So a lot of faces. Yeah. So 
as we're sitting and we're kind of chatting, the next table, which is an equally large table, it's all these teenagers and like a couple of adults. So some sort of class trip or something. Sure. And we were all kind of swapping stories, talking about how like, you know, you know, obviously reminiscing about our time together, but then also just talking about like, there's a lot of visibility. For example, when I go to Toronto now, I get recognized uh, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot on the street, wherever I go. Wonderful, beautiful thing. So somebody said at the table, like, how come none of those teens recognize us? Like, aren't all kinds of, aren't, aren't teens all watching Superstore? And I made some joke. I made some joke about like, oh, they're just so glued to their phones. They haven't looked up long enough to see who we are. We think nothing more about this. We're going about our meal. Wonderful. Hour and a half or so later, that table, I I turn because that table is emptying. And I turn and two of the teens are taking a photo with Ben Feldman. (laughs) But they haven't asked anybody else, right? So at this point, I've had a few tequila drinks and I I just kind of yell over playfully. How, where do you know I'm from? Is this a drop dead diva or a madman situation? And the one kid turns to me, looks me in the eye and says, no, superstore. And so in the moment, I thought, give him a thrill. Give him a, mm-hmm. give him a life moment, right? He's that big of a fan of the show. And so I kind of, I wouldn't say I slipped into Dina because I I don't do that. But like, it was kind of that vibe, right? So I just went, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that we interrupted you getting a photograph with Ben Feldman from Superstore. Kid doesn't get it. None of the kids get, nobody, nobody changes expressions. And I said, you know, with this table of people. No change, no reaction. And now at this point, I'm like, I got to play the bit harder because the reaction I'm looking for is, oh my God, it's all of you, right? Of course. That's what I was expecting. So I just dig in even harder. (laughs) I'm like, like, oh no, it's fine. We get it. You just want a picture with the pretty one. Story of our lives. We're not offended. No reaction. They still don't get it. Coleco, who of course played Sandra on the show, Sandra. goes, goes, okay, guys, let's get a photo, right? Like she's she's trying to help me with this bit, right? Being like, okay, we'll, we'll break the tension. Mm-hmm. They all leave. They silently backed away and started to leave. I immediately feel nothing but immense guilt and embarrassment <laughs> because I was like, did they think that I was yelling at them for real? And then if they don't know who I am, or who the rest of us are. What the fuck did they think I was talking about? The answer is, I don't know. One girl out of the like 10 scenes, one girl stood for a minute and 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 paused. And then she turned to me and she goes, were you on the show? And I said, we were all on the show. Every one of us was on the show. This is like a make-a-wish dream for a lot of people. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, oh, your hair was a different color. And I was like, this is insane. This is insane. Also, I don't think asked for a photo, then decided to leave. And I was like, guess we're not. The-. Again, they only wanted to come. They only wanted to put Feldman on the gram is the point. I think at one point I literally in my rant trying to make these kids laugh. I think I even said like, oh, you're all you've got your noses stuck in your TikToks for so long. You're not even opening your eyes to see who's in front of you. Nothing. 
again, I, I, I felt so bad. I felt so bad. And I, I was talking to Michael Bunin, who played Jeff on the show afterwards. And I was like, oh my God, I must have seemed like a raving lunatic <laughs> shouting at these children. And he was like, I do think they were frightened of you. Yeah. I was like, I just, I couldn't in my wildest dreams. Anyway, so I don't know. I don't know is the point. But again, for, for others, we had had, a, we had had a couple gals come up earlier in the night. And, and so, oh, this is the other detail. So they had a couple of other girls come up earlier in the night and had, had spotted Ben. Because Ben is doing the social butterfly, which is what he does best. So he's flitting from, you know, back and forth to each end of the table, that kind of thing. Yeah. And so they asked for a photo. They're like, we're big Superstore fans. It's her birthday. Can we take a photo? He turns and goes... Hey guys, she's a Superstore fan. Should we take a photo? And those two girls lit up like Christmas trees. They were like, oh my God, right? Like, so I think- What are the odds you found? Like, you're a table. You're like, there's 11 of you. Like, so again, I think I just got it in my head that I was like, I want to give someone else that level of joy experience. And the problem was, is that I rammed them into the ground because they didn't get the bit or understand who any of us were. Um, It should also be noted that one other teen boy- as this was all going on, goes, so are you all on the show or something? All the rest of you? And we went, yes. And he goes, why is he the only one standing then? <laughs> meaning, meaning, it, like the tone being like, well, it seemed like he's the only one that wants to take pictures. I, I was like, this is the most insane interaction I've ever had. So then I thought, so then the young gal who had stuck around at the end goes, well, we're here on a class trip. So then I start feeling terrible. I'm like, are they from the middle of nowhere? Have I just terrified them because they're not used to like talking to adults like out in the world? No, no. She's like, we're just from San Diego. I'm like, that's not a sheltered existence. <laughs> you grew up two hours from here. I can't with this. Anyway, I uh, was very excited to tell you that story because I was like, what a hoot. I wanted more than anything. For you to say, what do you know him from? And they go, he's a Jonas brother, right? <laughs> I would have loved that more than anything. Um, just rude to be like superstore. And it's like, open your fucking eyes. Like, I get that your hair is different and some people might look slightly different. I guess Ben's eyes just translate constantly to like, that's all people stare at. I guess those sparkly panda baby doe eyes, everyone's like, bam, I know those eyes. He showed me a picture on his phone at one point of himself doing something. And I said, you know, if you weren't my brother, I would find you very attractive. (laughs) 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 That's disgusting. So it doesn't it doesn't make the needle move for me. But yeah, I think it is. You know what it is? I think it is that heartthrob phenomenon that it's like when you look Mm -hmm. like a rejected American girl doll. Um, yes. You know, I'm trying to like, I'm racking my brain for more of those old Dina Jonah Burns, but you know what I mean? It's like, of I course. guess that's his, his cross to bear. Bless his heart. Yeah. yeah. Look, he can't help that he has anime eyes. <laughs> <laughs> his eyes are in a never ending sparkle. Uh, he doesn't listen to this show anymore. <laughs> oh, he sure does. And I guarantee <laughs> he's going to listen to this one. <laughs> I would apologize, Ben, but. Uh... <laughs> If you want an apology, you have to come get it. <laughs> what the fuck oh my was God. that? <laughs> what I love is that she gets so confident, so confident here. She does. Through Zoom. She does. And then, boy, oh, boy, oh, in person, the, the confidence she is going to dip. 
Oh, it's gonna dip. Damp. <laughs> Absolutely, a hundred percent. Um, I. Oh God. Yeah. No, I don't know what that was. <sighs> no, listen. I don't even know anymore. I. You don't need to. I'm barely alive. You don't need to. Look, I just uh, the fact that you came away from that feeling bad. Well, that because Those at the end there was no kids relief. Should the, feel bad. I was like, surely if I keep spelling it out. These kids will clue in, but they just never did. So I was like, now I just look like a mean asshole who shouted at them for, <laughs> for in their minds, no reason. Sure. Anyway, um, the last thing I'll say on the matter is, of course, we've been posting photos and videos from the night on socials. And there's been like, you know, varying comments. But the one comment I saw today on the video that I posted just made me fucking cackle. I'm paraphrasing, but it was something along the lines of, yeah, it's clear they all look older, but I guess they look better, somehow also look better than season one. And I had to respond because I had to be like, oh, of course we all look older. We we finished recording the show in 2021. <laughs> like, we're, we're two years out here. Like, yeah. has the last two years aged all of us? Maybe. But it was just such a funny, like, <laughs> of course they all look a lot older, but also surprisingly okay. That's a wild thing to say to anybody. Well, I mean, that's the internet, baby. I mean, as someone who just got very sexually aggressive with Ben Feldman via this podcast, <laughs> it's wild that I would say anything to be like, I can't believe they talk to people like that. How dare they? Yeah, you really did get pretty up on your high horse for a woman who just <laughs> low-level sexually <laughs> harassed one of my closest friends. <laughs> Okay, first of all, first of all, uh, men have been doing it to us for so long. Oh, yeah. It's our turn. And you know it's what? It's our turn now. I'll tell you this right now, and I can say it with yeah. confidence. No one will love anything more about this than Ben Feldman. So you're in good hit. You're in, you've chosen the right target. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's going to make those anime eyes sparkle even more. There you go. There you yeah. go. Now, listen, we yeah. got lots of things to talk about before we get into this case. So I got to I gotta yeah. quickly skip ahead. Now, two weeks ago on the show, we did talk about uh, what we thought aliens may look like if they exist. Um, if you ask me, knowing they exist. Uh, hashtag Tom was right. Now, I did show my drawing last week on the show, but Christy had not mm -hmm. finished hers yet because she had decided to do a clay rendering of how she viewed... Now, don't worry if you're listening to this and not watching, because obviously we will have to put these photos <laughs> on our socials for you to reference. But Christy, mm -hmm, I'm really mm -hmm. hoping, I know you've also done a drawing now, as there's been a few kind of, maybe, um, I don't know what words you want to use, missteps, mishaps with the clay. The, the, cl the clay didn't go like I planned. Sure. I uh, I had I used like wire and tinfoil to build a whole like armature to put the clay over top so I could use less clay for building what I wanted. I went way too big. It wasn't going to work out. I ended up making a smaller one um, that I'm not a big fan of. It's not shiny because I haven't had time to put a coating on it yet. I will. So for posterity's sake, it will be shiny. Um, am I showing the clay one first? I would or am I doing the photo? It. Now, I tried to base the photo off the clay thing so that <laughs> so it's going to be what it's going to be. Um, there, there's a lot of problems with them, I know, but it was my first and last clay attempt. Uh, I've chosen to call him Roy. 
<laughs> nice. Everybody meet Roy. Oh, he's cute. This turned out a lot I, better than I thought. Like just giving oh, your I mean, it didn't work out. <laughs> we have a lot of problems. But uh I didn't expect yeah. like four arms. That's cute. Yeah, I think part of it was I made his torso really big and then I put one set of arms and I was like, well, now he just looks like a penguin. And so I had to do some some changes. So based on that, yeah. Um I've I've gone for this. Oh my god, it's so good. But then I also decided that uh because you are like, oh, they absolutely exist and they've absolutely been to our planet that uh he did come to our planet and he loves it. He's got an <laughs> I heart earth hat. Oh he my does. god, that's adorable. He does. Now I did say last yeah. week that I was thinking of redoing mine in paint. I'm gonna be honest with you. No, I love it too much. I've left him. Again, oh, these him. and what's interesting is our two drawings, these two look, I'll say it, like they could be cousins. Cousins. Now I'll say it. I did do a version earlier of this guy that was his coloring was much lighter, but I went to the store and went looking for a very specific color scheme. I, I had a very that. specific pale color scheme that I wanted to do. And then the, the trucker hat just threw me and I, I it was bigger than me. Well, but, look, uh, as Christy mentioned, we are going to put these on merch. I don't know when, I don't know how, I don't know what, but stay tuned for that because over the next, hopefully over the next week, I can get something going because... Uh, I mean, I think these aliens on pajama pants is just something that the world needs. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Like, I'm already, I'm going to write down alien pics so that I remember to take pictures of them uh, or to put post pictures of them. I'm not going to put the pictures in the case file because I want people to, I'm going to wait till the episode actually drops. Of and course. Then I'll post the photos. Of course. So if you're like, I'm going to go immediately to look at the photos, slow your reins other side of the world i will get there once i get up that morning <laughs> that morning so i don't even know you'll love this i don't even know what time zone i'm in um yeah but i will post them on the mo the, the tuesday morning so probably like what are you are you pacific yeah so probably i love that i'm giving myself a hard timeline Probably by by 10 a.m. Pacific time. Okay. On the Tuesday, I will do my best to put those up. I love it. I love it very much. Now, listen, before we get into the case, there is one other thing we have to talk about, which is you have two yeah. updates about past cases. Two. Wowzer. They're very quick. Yeah. But uh, both involve arrests. Hello. Uh, first one. Uh, is from a case we featured on episode 91, Missing Kentucky. Uh, 35-year-old Crystal Rogers went missing from Bardstown in July 2015. Her car was found abandoned with her keys, phone, and purse still inside. Yes. Her boyfriend, Brooks Hauk, was a suspect early on as he never reported her missing and he was the last person to see her alive. As of this record, Crystal has still not been found but last week, September 27th, 2023, 41-year-old Brooks was indicted on charges of murder and tampering with physical evidence in connection with Crystal's disappearance. Also arrested was 32-year-old Joseph Lawson, who was charged with conspiracy to commit murder and tampering with physical evidence. 
between 2009 and 2020, five women accused Joseph Lawson of assault. He was convicted of misdemeanor assault for choking a woman in 2020 and was sentenced to a whopping 90 days in jail. I can't. And somehow he got out early. Yeah. Crystal uh, and Brooks, their families are currently fighting over custody of the couple's 10-year-old son in the moment, which is, it was a huge thing uh, when she first went missing. But right. um, I remember that he worked, he, some sort, he owns some sort of company that builds houses, right? properties of yes. some sort. And they, the police at one point were like digging up the driveway of a house that he had built because they thought maybe there was something there. And they had a whole bunch of houses they were searching, but they've never said if they found anything. But now that he's arrested, I assume there's something, but obviously if I would, I would assume if they had found any remains of any kind that it would have been immediate that they would have publicly stated that. You would think that, yeah, absolutely. But I could be wrong. But you never know. Again, sometimes it really depends on, on. it's so hard to know. Sometimes, yes, sometimes they want to keep those cards real close to the chest. So I think what I'm hearing is expect an update to this update eventually. Once we have it, we'll bring it. Yeah. Yeah. We'll just keep going. The absolutely. idea of like update 65 on the same case of like it just keeps going. Yeah. My hope is she's found and he's just gone to jail. Yeah. It, Assuming that he did it. Of course. I remember when but, we did that episode, because again, bear with us, we're on to what? Or what is this? 146? I don't even know anymore. Um, 145-ish. Um, there it is. Yeah. I. So they blur. They really blur. But I remember this case just with those details you gave. And I remember us being like, uh, like it was feeling very much like all signs Him? were pointing to. Again, speculating. But uh if this, if he is in fact guilty, and they have the proof and evidence, then yeah, it'll be nice to see her uh, family get some justice. A hundred percent. And then, yeah, the second update, the one that we get, have heard a lot about. Yeah, we've had a lot of tags, a lot of heat, uh, a lot of hopes for a bonus episode. Which, spoiler alert, there will not be because this is literally the update. It's not long. Yeah. Um, it's from episode 20. Adorable. Which is wild to even think about, uh, which involved the death of Tupac Shakur, who was shot four times in a drive-by shooting on the Las Vegas Strip in September 1996. He died six years later. Tupac was 25 at the time. On September 29th, 2023, so last week was a big week for true crime, uh, Dwayne Keefe D. Davis was indicted by a grand jury on charges of murder with use of a deadly weapon. Police believe Keefe D. got a weapon and shot at Tupac following a physical altercation between Tupac and Keefe D.'s nephew, Orlando Anderson. In 2009, Keefe D. did confess to the police that he was involved, but then he recanted. He also gave very specific details about the crime in what felt like a confession in a book he wrote in 2019. Then he did a lot of interviews about that book where he openly, while being recorded on national television, basically said he was involved and did it. But of course, now he's saying 
he was not involved. Yeah. I, I don't even have words, but from the dear listeners who have recently listened to that episode, uh, they said we, we, we mentioned him. So that's something. We did. I remember us saying that it felt like because he had confessed to the crime and then seemed to be kind of like almost grandstanding about it. Like, yeah, uh, he was kind of like almost like a low level brag. Uh, I remember us at the time being like, and again, don't kill me if I'm wrong, but I, I believe like we were we were basically like feels like all signs are pointing to him. Like, <laughs> oh, 100 percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, he, oh, he bragged so hard about it being him. He did. Now, when you were just giving that little synopsis, either you said that he was shot on the Las Vegas Strip and died six years later, or six I, days. I heard years. So we won't know. We won't know. And I mean, either I meant six days. Yeah, and I, I'm almost certain you probably said it, but for some oh, I'm, reason, I'm not. My noggin. Anyway, I just wanted to call it out so that either people would go like, oh, yeah, or people would go like, oh, Lauren, you're a rascal. Oh, I, you can't hear. I almost guarantee we're going to go back and be like, no, I <laughs> I absolutely said years. I meant I meant days. Did I write days on the paper? Yeah. Yeah, I did. So if I said years, I can't read. And my brain is also... <laughs> so either Christy can't read or I can't well. hear. And the point is, is that together we make a full human. And that's why we do the show. We're like two-thirds of those monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. We just need to see no evil, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Before we get into it, I got to ask, what you drinking over yeah. there? Uh, I'm doing a Slurpee this evening. Well, because... Uh, it's just, you know, it's the right touch. Well, I'll tell you what also is the right touch. Last week, I was drinking a vodka and Gatorade, orange Gatorade, because it was all I yeah. had in the house. I said, it kind of tasted like a creamsicle. Christy said, why don't you get some whipped cream vodka? I did. Uh, I've I've made one in a in a glass, that, a glass that has a skull on it. You can't really see. There's like an etched skull on here. Oh, I like that I, vibe. I, I, I love that I'm making it seem like it's for spooky season, but I use these year round. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's delicious. It's a revelation. It's everything I ever wanted. However, it tastes even more like a creamsicle. Of and then course. I thought, why not add a little bit of this guy? Oh. That's a sun-kissed orange soda. So... I've already tried it without, and I'm just going to put just a scotch of that in there. Just a little bit of fizz, you know what I mean? A little bit of orange fizz. Let's see. This is orange yeah. on orange. It's unprecedented in real time. Meow, meow, bitch. <laughs> I'm already writing that down. <laughs> it's so good. Anyway, uh, yeah, you. I, I said I felt like I had started a new... Uh, drink by having a cocktail with Gatorade in it because it's like a hangover remedy in your drink. You stated the uh, sure. the whipped cream vodka and here we are. I'm having a refreshing creamsicle dream. Uh, also should be noted, I feel a little bit wee-woo because I'm halfway through one already. So by the end of this, it's probably safe to say loose and Hatches. buzzy. Loose and buzzy is going to be in the his house. <laughs> <laughs> that was... That was earnest. Um, I I could not be happier. Yeah. Uh, I hope that creamsicle dream is what you're going to call that cocktail. I'm writing it down. Uh, the fact that it's orange 
and in a skull glass is very spooky season. Very. Um, And I already told you, this is your sweet spot where I like you to be. Uh, It's why last week you said the words hatches to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) I know. Also, we brought up Mad Men in that episode. So that feels like a synchronicity. Mad Men's been brought up or referenced in two episodes in a row. Sure, it's for completely different reasons, but still. (laughs) Yeah, okay, okay. Now, if Ben Feldman does listen to the show, and by listen, I mean like he's probably front tuned, to back. He's probably stopped listening to this one now because we've stopped talking about him. But keep keep going. <laughs> oh, he'll he'll come back. Ben, we're back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, assuming he listens front to back, sure, like whole thing. Mm-hmm. He will have heard what I said about a former coworker. Yeah, if he listened to last week's episode, uh, Northern Bank Robbery, yeah. <laughs> I am wildly uncomfortable with that, uh, which is amazing for the things that I say that get recorded uh, and just saved and put out in the ether. It's fine. Listen. Um, look, so for all the, the the comments I may have ever made about Mr. Feldman, I've never gone that vile. No. No. And that was off the top of my head without even thinking about it. Yeah. That's when you get really vile. Is That's how you know how you really feel. Yeah. And for those who don't know what we're referencing, go back and listen to the episode. We don't need to we don't need to quote it again. <laughs> oh, I'm not saying it again. I it's the most vile thing I've ever said. I mean, it's out there. Um it's up there. It is. It's up there. But listen, it that's is. what that's what we love you for. You you're a blanche through and through. You come about it honestly. It's not forced, it's not put on, it's just who you are. Oh, it's who I've it's who I am yep. and it's who I've always been. And thanks to that little nugget. I can now tell when my husband will have listened to that episode. And I can tell you now, it's not yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's always nice to know that you're like, oh, that'll let me know when he's heard it. Yeah. Uh, my God. Well, listen, let's get into oh. it. We're, of course, discussing the brand new HBO Max, or I guess we're just supposed to say Max now, documentary, Last Stop, Larima. We did get advanced copies to view of this. We both loved it. We were texting each other as we were watching it in real time. So we are so excited to get to discuss this with you. If you haven't already, give it a watch on Max because it is a fantastic documentary that we can't recommend enough. So here we go. I can read. Everything's good. You're doing great. Last Stop Laramont is an HBO documentary directed by Thomas Tancred that follows the case of Patty Moriarty, a 70-year-old man who went missing along with his dog in December 2017. At the time, Patty was one of just 13 people living in Laramont, a small outback town in the Northern Territory of Australia. With the disappearance of Patty, Laramont's population dropped to 12. And is that 12 residents? Or 12 suspects? Christy Oxborough investigates. Thank you so much for taking the direction that I gave. She did write in there a beat. And I am an actor and I am happy to oblige. Yeah, look, I was looking for drama. You brought it. You always do. I was looking for drama in that moment. I was. And look, I don't I don't normally get screeners. Like I don't normally get something in advance. So that was a stop the research for a past episode yep i think that was even last week's episode weekend before week before something like that uh but i stopped researching that one and was like i'll just give this one a taste and then i ended up doing the whole thing yeah 
and then going, well, I'll just have to make my notes now <laughs> now and wait, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, did I feel super important? I did. It was nice. Oh, it's always exciting to get something like, yeah, to get something in advance. I mean, what a treat. Such It's so exciting. Yeah. And it was a real uh, bonus when it turned out to be good. Yeah, we didn't get paid. Like, yeah. To be clear to everybody. We like, did not. The only reason we're being enthusiastic about it is because we were genuinely excited and thought it was a great documentary. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, great news. The only disclaimer I have off the top is my apologies in advance to the Aussies for any mispronunciations. Of course. But other than that, that's it, which is nice. Isn't it? It's nice. Isn't it? I... It's it's kind of, I don't think we've done like a lot of like brutal ones this year. Maybe we have, and I'm just too scarred to remember. But um, lately I've been looking at ones for like coming up and I'm like, oh no, that's one too many boxes that I, I'd like to untick as many boxes on the true crime thing as possible. Something, uh, you know, so. The small town of Larima is located approximately 268 miles or 431 kilometers southeast of Darwin, the capital of the Northern Territory in Australia. Larima was originally established during World War II as the railhead for the North Australia Railway. For those of us unfamiliar with train speak, that basically means it was the point on the railroad where traffic either starts or stops. During the war, supply routes were needed to get from southern Australia to Darwin, and the town of Burdum was initially used with the Burdum Hotel acting as a headquarters for the American base in 1942. The following year, the railhead was moved to Larima, which is approximately five miles or eight kilometers north of Burdum. Larima was considered one of the largest military bases in the Pacific region, with more than 6,500 troops staying in the area. After the war, the railway transported iron ore from the Francis Creek Mine in Darwin. Larima served as a railhead until the line closed in 1976. Larima currently consists of a World War II museum, the Larima Hotel, and a few houses. There is no police station, no cell phone reception, and the nearest services are in Mataranka, which is about 47 miles or 76 kilometers north. Uh, The Burdum Hotel, which was established in 1930, was dismantled and rebuilt in Larima in 1957. Since its relocation, the pub has been called the Wayside Inn, the Giant Stubby, Lake Larima, uh, the Pink Panther Pub, and the Larima Hotel. It was the hub of the community. It was open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It was more than just the pub in town. It was a post office, a caravan park, a bus depot, a grocery store, and a zoo. In late 2017, Larima was home to just 13 residents. So we are going to look at each of them briefly, keeping in mind that the information is accurate to December 2017. So there was 71-year-old Barry Burke, known as Cookie. He was a pensioner who moved to Larima in the late 90s. He worked for an earthworks company in Alice Springs, which is like 621 miles or 1,000 kilometers south of Larima. 
earthworks is basically moving rock and soil in anticipation of a construction project. Hmm. Uh, Cookie retired in the early 2010s, and in 2017, he was living alone as his partner was living in Tasmania, which is quite far. Right. So kudos to them for making that work. (laughs) Now, Cookie is the guy who said my favorite quote in the Max documentary, which was that he was going to, quote, crack a few tinnies. I had not heard the term tinnies before, but just know I am so completely charmed by Aussie slang and tinnies is easily one of my favorite things I had ever heard. Oh, yeah. It makes so much sense. I would love to use it in my everyday, but it won't sound the same coming from me. Yeah. But again, so completely charmed. Of course. Uh, There's also 70-year-old David Graham, who was a cattle station worker who usually lived in Kananara, which is 430 miles or 692 kilometers west of Larima. By late December 2017, David had been living in Larima for about six weeks due to a lack of work back home. There is 74-year-old Frances Hodgetts, known as Fran. She's the owner and operator of Fran's Tea House. At the time, she was the resident who had lived in Larima the longest. Fran lived in Australia's Northern Territory for about 50 years. 45 of those were spent in Larima. In the late 70s, Fran bought the old police station and converted it into her home. It is located in the northernmost part of town, next to the only public phone box, which will be relevant later on. Of course. Fran also opened a tea house on the property in the early 80s. She was married to William Hodgetts for over 40 years before they separated in 2014. 73-year-old William Hodgetts, known as Billy, or Light Cans, <laughs> not, a, not a nickname I gave, nope. obviously. Um, he's a pensioner who moved to Larima in 1983. After his separation from Fa- Fran, Billy moved into a caravan at the Larima Hotel, which is located right next door to Fran's house. He claims he only did it to piss Fran off. I have to say, one of the best dynamics for me in the doc was yeah. Billy's dynamic with Fran because yes. he he goes through like a kind of a roller coaster over the course of that movie of like he does of being like I wanted to piss her off I can't stand her what I still love her like it was oh like, yeah it was very yeah. much like it was a very um a Larry Bird of the Bird Brothers vibe I felt like oh sure that's like. Fran felt yeah. like it was a bit of of his Donna. <laughs> oh my God, that's a great point. Right? Because yes, there was something very beautiful about the whole time he was like, I just did it to piss her off. I'll spend every day for the rest of my goddamn life sitting outside my caravan, staring at her, letting her know I'm here. But God, you know I love her. I miss her. I, I miss her. I just miss her. I miss her. that smile. Like <laughs> it was it was a really beautiful, beautiful I know. thing. And he, you can tell that separation came out of nowhere for him. Yes. He, I'm not saying that, I'm just saying he was blind to the problems because he had no idea that it was coming because he made some sort of comment like, she was fine for, uh, I was fine for her for like 40, 50 years, but, you know, apparently she got sick of me then. It's fine. It was like, oh, oh, 
Billy doesn't get it. Oh, he, hurt people hurt people. You know what I'm saying? Like it's yeah. feels very much. Yeah. 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 But that beautiful moment at the end with like a, you know, but I love her. Yeah. So, uh, and it's like, you do. Really, Billy? Really? He would have taken her back in a heartbeat. Heartbeat. Oh, he's just waiting. He said he was waiting at that caravan across from her house to piss her off. I think it was to remind her he was still there and be close enough she could just come on over and be like, I'd like to get back together. Yeah. And he'd be like, I'm already packed. Yeah. He's like, I've been sleeping on the same side of the bed. <laughs> Left your spot open all these years. My God, he really is your Larry. He it really, I did respond to him very deeply because I was like this. I mean, everybody in the in the documentary is such a character. Like these are real life people, obviously, but yeah. a lot of them are very kind of like larger than life personalities. Uh, and that's yes. all I could think the whole time with him. And then at the end, when he made that comment, I was like, I knew it. <laughs> I knew he still hung up on Fran. And how could he not be? Fran is a card. <laughs> She's an absolute card and a half. Yeah, I love her. Oh, God. I love that we're not even halfway through the people who live in the town, but we're just reminiscing like we know them. Exactly. Well, compelling. They were uh, compelling. A hundred percent. Uh, there's 75-year-old Leonard Hodson, known as Lenny, a pensioner who lived in Larimer off and on for about 14 years. As of 2023, Lenny was the oldest resident in Larimer at the age of 81. Good for him. Uh, 71-year-old Owen Laurie moved to Larimer in August 2017 after responding to an ad in a local Catherine newspaper. Fran Hodgetts placed the ad looking for a gardener and a caretaker for her property. In exchange for taking care of Fran's property, Owen was given food and board in a small bungalow on Fran's land. The only person in Larima that Owen spoke to was Fran, which was also wild because then Fran's also like, I didn't care to speak to him. Again, you can't write this stuff. Yeah. But yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, there was 48-year-old Karen Rayner, the owner and bookkeeper at Larima Workshop. Her husband, 62-year-old Mark Rayner, is a mechanic. The Rayners were passing through Larima on their way to Western Australia around Easter 2015. They found Larima to be an interesting place, so they returned in November 2015 and purchased a mechanic's workshop. 79-year-old Roberta Roth, known as Bobby, is a pensioner living in Larima with her 72-year-old husband, Carl Roth. The Roths and their two daughters moved to Larima in November 1998. Bobby previously worked at Fran's Tea House for about five years. Carl spent 20 years in the Army before working at the Northern Territory Museums in Alice Springs. Until the mid-2010s, Bobby and Carl were the local fire and emergency rescue service for Larima. Wow. You're also going to uh, love what I have to interject here, which is yeah. a couple of interesting age gaps here. We got uh, Mark and Karen, 62 and 48. Uh, yeah. Um, no judgment. Just a, it, it did strike me in the moment. Sure. Um, but the the real one here is Bobby and Carl, 79 and 72. Roberta, Roberta going for that younger man. Yeah. You don't often see it, but I love it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, you got 75-year-old Bar- Barry Sharp, the owner, operator, and publican of the Larima Hotel. He moved to Larima in 1989, and 13 years later, he bought the hotel from the Roths, or one of the Roths' daughters, something like that. Uh, he Barry later said, quote, When I first came here, I was driving north looking for a bit of hot weather, pulled up outside the pub, and stayed for 28 years. <laughs> <laughs> it seems to be how many of these people came across living in Larima is like they stopped by and they were like, this is nice. And then suddenly it's like, it's been a decade and I'm still here. Right. So, I mean, I think that says a lot. Uh, Barry painted the hotel pink to catch the attention of people driving by. Fun fact about the uh, Larima Hotel. The first crocodile that Barry got for the hotel zoo was given to him by Bob Irwin, father of crocodile hunter Steve Irwin. Wowzer. That's nice. Um, 49-year-old Richard Simpson lives at the Larimar Hotel, where he started working as the barman around April 2017. Now, the 13th resident of Larima, and the main reason for the Max documentary to begin with, is Patrick Joseph Moriarty, known as Patty. Patty was born in Limerick, Ireland on March 30th, 1947. He immigrated to Australia at the age of 18, where he worked on cattle stations as a grader, driver, ringer, and station hand. Patty also took part in the rodeo circuit and won a belt buckle in Darwin in 1996. Okay. Patty spent some time living in Daly Waters, which is about 390 miles or 620 kilometers south of Darwin. Unfortunately, in 2008, Patty got banned from the Daly Waters pub for causing trouble. So he just kind of moved to the next town down the road, which was 58 miles or 93 kilometers north, and that was Tularema. Two years later, he paid $30,000 for Top of the Town, which was an old gas station or servo. He bought it from one of Carl and Bobby Roth's daughters. Top of the Town was located right across the highway from Fran's Tea House. Then the Larima Hotel was beside Fran's, and the remaining houses in town were on the other side of the hotel. I will post a map on our socials at True Crime and Cocktails on Instagram and Facebook and at Not Detectives on Twitter. Uh, after arriving in town, Patty quickly became a staple at the Larima Hotel, which was just 800 meters from Patty's home. He would spend every morning helping do odd jobs. He was doing cleaning, laundry, making up rooms, and tending to the gardens. Then every afternoon, he'd sit around sipping tinnies, if I may, uh, with anyone who may be passing through. Patty would sit in the same chair every time, specifically on the left-hand side just outside the front door with his border collie, Rover. Each day was the same. Every morning, Patty would walk his dog down the road to the rubbish tip or garbage dump, then circle back to his place before driving his quad bike or ATV over to the Larima Hotel. Patty would then clean and help at the hotel, then sit for a few beers and leave sometime around 4.30 or so. The routine remained the same even after Patty's dog Rover died in December 2016. In November 2017, 
a friend of Patty's gave him an 11-month-old female red and brown Kelpie named Kelly. Apparently, Kelly had been raised at a cattle station, as Kelpies are natural like sheep herders. But Kelly proved to be more of a pet than a working dog. Uh, So she was given to Patty. On Saturday, December 16th, 2017, the day started out as usual. Patty and his dog Kelly arrived at the Laramie Hotel on Patty's red quad bike around 9 a.m. Patty then cleaned the showers and the toilets before hanging out in the bar for the afternoon. At 2.29 p.m., he withdrew $40 through an electronic funds transfer at point of sale, which is basically like using the bar's debit machine as an ATM. Patty then used $20 to buy four beers. He drank one while he placed the other three in a small refrigerator just outside the front door, which was primarily used by staff. But I like that he was a staple in there anyway, so he's basically staff. Well, he's making up the beds and cleaning the bathrooms, so I guess he felt like he had the run of the place. Well, he should, especially if he's doing all that cleaning and paying for the beers. Yeah. I'm surprised they didn't just give him the beers, but I don't know how many customers they get, because they're like, if we don't get your 20 bucks, then what are we... What are we doing? Well, they clearly can't afford a maid, so it feels like. <laughs> I mean, yeah. how charming, how charming that it was like that's how we spent every morning was like literally helping them out. I mean, it's it's very charming. Oh, it truly feels like it was like this was camp. Yeah. It was like they all have their jobs. Yeah. They all just kind of, they spend every day hanging out. Um, one of the things, uh, I read a court document from this and- uh, so many of them were like terrible with dates and they were like did that happen on saturday or friday and they were like dude every day of our lives is exactly the same i don't know oh that's so, so interesting there were, there were a lot of them that were like every day is the same so i can't tell you if that was that day or that day because the same things happen those days right so they're all completely thrown and then it was like there was a note that was like it was discovered that they actually meant saturday even though they said thursday or whatever and i was like okay understood that's interesting there there are i mean and i I get it making dinner this evening i went huh what did we have yesterday and then i was like oh we had this and then i went no no that was tuesday i couldn't tell you i couldn't i could tell you what i made 48 hours ago but i couldn't tell you what i made 24 hours ago so i get it yeah my, my, I would be eaten alive by a town where I'm doing the exact same thing every day because my brain would just be like, well, that's it for us. Oh, my God. I mean, if you know me, I'd be there just guzzling tinnies all day, being barely able to keep a grip on reality, you know, so I'm with you. <laughs> my question is, what are they like? Do they do they have any like cherry apple pie? Because I if, if you've got that and no spiders, I'm there. A cherry apple. I don't think in my entire life with you, I've ever heard you reference a cherry apple pie. I know. I meant like cherry or apple, but as it came out of my mouth, I'm like, I'd like them together, please. I think it's a revelation. I uh, bought a cherry pie the other day, and the first bite I went, oh, it's so tart. And my husband's like, oh, is it like, is it okay? And I was like, well, I'm going to eat it. I ate that whole fucking pie. Not in one sitting. I'm not an animal. No, but it's no judgment I, if you had. <laughs> Look, I thought about it. Yeah. But then I was like, 
No, it was so tart. By the by the end of the pie, it was a little less tart. But if you think a sweet, sweet apple with some cinnamon, because I'd like cinnamon with cherry just to be weird, I I would like that. I would be interested. Fuck, I might buy one of each pies tomorrow and do some surgery of like opening up and shoving. <laughs> Listen, I was shoving some pie in the oven. The next time you're here, I'll bake you a cherry apple pie. I've been known to bake pies. Oh, my God. Yeah. I could also just, like, buy an apple pie, buy a can of cherry pie filling, cut it up, shove it in there, close it back down. Yeah. See how that goes. Or just buy the apple pie and dip it in the pie filling. Now we're getting somewhere. I would like to use pie filling as a dip. (laughs) Again, you're an innovator. (laughs) I, I meant to live in a small town where nobody's going to judge me. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I get it. <sighs> God. So, Patty put, uh, buys the four beers. He drinks one, puts the other three in the fridge. Once he's gone through all four, he then takes the other $20 that he had taken out, buys another four beers, does the same thing, starts drinking one, puts the others in that small staff fridge. While Patty was at the pub, a couple and their young daughters stopped by. They traveled from Catherine, which is about 114 miles or 183 kilometers northwest of Larima. While in Catherine, the family stopped at a grocery store. They bought some food for a picnic, including a cooked chook which North Americans know as, like, a barbecue or rotisserie chicken. Okay. And I'm like, is that what chook means? Because my oldest, in kindergarten, was obsessed with this book called Chicky Chicky Chook Chook. And I could, like, we read it so many times. He, He got it at the school library and he brought it home and I'm like, what the hell is this? He was obsessed with it. I could almost tell you the entire thing start to finish right now. And I'm realizing, I was like, I don't even know what they're saying. It's gobbledygook. But now I'm realizing the birds in the pictures were chickens. Maybe it was Australian. I'm thinking it was an Australian book. He loved it to the point I had to go find it to buy it because he was obsessed with it. Huh. Yeah. How are we we spelling chook? C-H-O-O-K. Hmm. Yeah. All right. I am just piecing together in this moment about that book being chickens. Yeah. I also believe the first page is chicky, chicky, chook, chook, chick, chick, chick. (laughs) (laughs) I believe, if my memory serves me correctly, but it's neither here nor there. So. I love this. So this family stops at the pub for a drink and to look at the animals. Because as you may recall, the Larima Hotel was also the town zoo, which featured three crocodiles, two emus, a bunch of snakes, sugar gliders, and approximately 600 birds. While at the pub, the couple's daughter pet Patty's dog, and then they offered to give their leftover chicken to the dog, So Patty accepted to and took the chicken. Before leaving the pub that day, 
Patty told Barry he would not be coming to work the following day, but he would be stopping by around lunchtime to borrow Barry's lawnmower because Patty's was currently being fixed by Mark Rayner. At dusk, which from the best I can tell seems to be about sometime between 6 and 6.30, Patty and Kelly left on Patty's quad bike to head home. Again, it was only about 0.5 miles or 800 meters away. The next day on Sunday, Patty did not pick up the mower from Barry as he previously said he would. When Barry still hadn't heard from Patty on Monday, he went to Patty's house around 10 or 11 a.m., but no one was home. The back door was unlocked, so Barry checked the house, which was neat and tidy as usual, but neither Patty nor his dog Kelly were there. Barry noticed that Patty's back gate was open, so he assumed Patty had taken his dog for a walk. So Barry drove along the road, leading to the dump, but couldn't find Patty anywhere. That night, when Larimer resident Mark Rayner stopped at the hotel to pick up his mail, Barry told him that Patty was missing. The next morning, Mark and his wife Karen went looking for Patty themselves. They noticed that the rain gauge on the property had not been emptied. Uh, It had not rained since 10.30 p.m. on Saturday, the night that Patty was last seen. According to his friends, Patty always, always emptied the rain gauge the morning after a rain. Uh, Patty's quad bike was parked in the carport, as was Patty's second vehicle. His sunglasses were hanging on the left handle of the quad bike, and the keys were on Patty's kitchen table. The keys to his second vehicle were not found. Oh, interesting. The kitchen fan was on and Patty's medication was in the refrigerator. He had a history of ischemic heart disease and hypertension. He had heart surgery in 2003, followed by another procedure in 2006, where he had stents put in. There was food on the table as though a meal had been interrupted, and there was some food in the dog's bowl, but enough where you know he didn't, enough that you know it was partially eaten, as though the dog was also interrupted in their meal. Patty's hat was on the table, which was incredibly suspicious because Patty was quite bald, uh, and he was very, very sensitive about it, to the point where he never left the house without a hat. I think at one point someone in the documentary said they had no idea he was bald, because they absolutely never saw him without the hat on. Right. Um, There was a pedestal fan that was turned on in the bedroom, and the bed looked like it had not been slept in. When the Rainers saw that the back gate was open, they assumed Patty had taken his dog for a walk, which was the same that Barry had assumed. Uh, Since he hadn't returned, they thought he might have had some sort of medical episode. They checked nearby roads and about 20 meters on either side. After three hours and no sign of Patty, the Rainers went to the pub where they told Barry to contact the police. The call was made at 4 p.m. on Tuesday, December 19th. Patty was last seen around 6 p.m. on Saturday, December 16th. The closest police station was in Mataranka, which is about 47 miles or 76 kilometers north of Larima. But when the police didn't show up, Barry called a second time the next day, and the police arrived a few hours later. There was no sign of a struggle at Patty's home, and nothing appeared to be missing. Patty's wallet, hat, and keys 
were found on the table along with Kelly's dog collar. In the microwave, police discovered the leftover barbecued chicken, which the traveling couple had given to Patty. The package was even dated December 16th to show that it was, in fact, the same chicken. Police searched for Patty on foot and with motorbikes, but after no sign of him, they brought in a formal search and rescue team from Darwin on December 21st. For this initial search, they were just doing a broad search, like for signs of life, as the current belief was Patty suffered some sort of medical episode while on a walkabout. Northern Territory Police issued a statement asking for the public's assistance in locating Patty. On Christmas Day, the police released a second statement saying they were investigating the circumstances surrounding Patty's potential death, and they were eager to locate anyone who passed through Larima on the night of December 16th. It is wild to me that they so quickly went from, yes, we're searching for this person, to this is likely a death investigation now. Yeah. Like a day apart. That. I guess, wild. yeah, the only thing I could think is that because because every day is the same and it was so odd for him to not be there and there's, it's so rural that it's like, I guess that's, sure. that's what the assumption would be made. But I hear you. It does feel like it's like, oh, damn, okay, wow. We're, <laughs> we're just, uh, the missing portion of this is getting put off the table, yeah. Sure. I just, is it also possible they were just trying to make it, make the public realize it was a more serious matter? Yeah, could be. Because as soon as they say someone's missing, are they like, oh, he's just off right, off on his walkabout or whatever. Whereas if you're like, we think he's dead, then it's like, oh, shit. Okay, we're paying attention. Yeah, that could be actually. So it's possible. Uh, the fact that they waited a day before investigating at all is one thing. Yeah. But then they waited five days before interviewing the people who actually knew the victim. Hmm. On December 29th, the media arrived in Larima, while a group of 20 police officers and dozens of volunteers did a more comprehensive search called a shoulder-to-shoulder. They searched the dirt tracks and bushland surrounding Patty's home, as well as other residences and vehicles within Larima. On January 4th, an extensive search of the Larima rubbish tip was done. Uh, it is that area where Patty would walk his dog every morning, officers said it should be searched more thoroughly with an excavator uh, because Larima residents typically burn their trash using incinerators before taking it to the tip. But I find it interesting for police to search something and then go, that should be searched closer. <laughs> like yeah, what you're point. not saying is by someone else, yeah. you know? <laughs> Yeah. It's like, well, you guys have the resources. Yeah, so much really look into that. Maybe they don't. So much really look into that. God, I wish there was an adult here. (laughs) Ah, there's not. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's a Uh, Then on February 1st, police started trying to look at it from a different way. So they started looking specifically for the dog. They checked with animal shelters and vets, hoping that someone would have found Patty's dog. Police even asked the public to come forward if they or someone they knew had recently gotten a red and brown Kelpie, but so far, no one has come forward. In 2018, a coronial inquest into Patty's disappearance was opened, and in April 2022, 
coroner Greg Cavanaugh released his official report. Based on the facts that Patty was last seen driving his quad bike and that his quad bike was discovered at Patty's home, the assumption is that Patty did make it home after the pub on Saturday, December 16th. Also leaning towards that theory are the placement of items inside Patty's home. According to the report, Kavanaugh believes that Patty, quote, put the mostly eaten chicken in the microwave, put his wallet on the table and his hat in its usual place, put the dog food in the dog's bowl, and got his own meal out of the freezer. Kavanaugh stated, quote, It appeared that in the midst of a meal preparation, something unexpected happened. And Patty and Kelly, he believes, then went outside. Kavanaugh added, quote, that there is no evidence as to where he went. However, it was concluded that Patty and Kelly were likely killed on that day that they went missing, but a cause of death, of course, could not be determined. Patty Moriarty was 70 at the time of his disappearance. Most of the residents of Larima described Patty as a good-natured, happy-go-lucky man who was always smiling. However, others said he was rude and obnoxious when he was drinking, and that he was, quote, not as well-liked as reporters made him out to be. But liked or not, in such a small town, what could have happened to Patty Moriarty? According to Coroner Kavanaugh's report, quote, In my opinion, Patty was killed in the context of, and likely due to, the ongoing feud he had with his nearest neighbors. Bump, bump, On that note, let's take a quick break, hit the can, grab another creamsicle dream cocktail, and we'll be right back with more on the Last Stop Laramie episode of True Crime and Cocktails. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Welcome back to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're, of course, discussing the Max documentary Last Stop Larimaw. Before the break... Christy teased that perhaps Patty Moriarty was involved in some sort of feud with the locals. There may or may not have been. There is. Yeah, there's a feud. I'm not even yep. going to. I was, I, was, <laughs> <laughs> I 
I was gonna I was gonna tease it further, but uh, no, it's fine. And why am I teasing it? I've so, also seen the documentary. I know that there's a feud. Ah! What I like is because we don't usually watch them. No, we don't usually both watch them. But we also don't usually both watch them at the same time where we're texting about it, being like, "Tell me when you're finished." Yeah. <laughs> I know. Listen, I liked it. I liked it. It was nice. Same. It's nice. Same. It was like being in the same room. Yeah. I should maybe get like oh. a like a body pillow <laughs> with you on it. That's. This has gotten immediately so much creepier than I intended it to. <laughs> uh, the beautiful thing is, and I wasn't going to say anything, but they don't know <laughs> that we know that that break that was like 30 seconds for them yeah. was like two and a half to three hours for us. So we're at a level of insanity. Yeah. That, that we were not. I was going to try five and act. Ago. Like, I was going to try and make it seem like it matched. I thought I was doing a pretty good yeah. job so far. Oh, you're doing great. They never would have known. I'm just saying I'm unhinged. Yeah. <laughs> we went on a couple rabbit holes. They aren't important. The point is, no. it, uh, in your 30 seconds, it's like time for us was like dog years or time for you is like dog years. <laughs> Yeah. 30 seconds yep. for you, two hours for us. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. You know, it is what it is. Absolutely. Either way, they're still getting the same information. And what you're getting is same information with old Ash a little turned up, you know? <laughs> I was going to refer to it as we're a little more chuckle buddies. Chuckle buddies? Oh, my word. That's amazing. I don't even know what that means. We've we've called chuckle ourselves chuckleheads for three years, but apparently now chuckle buddies. <laughs> chuckle buddies feels right. Well, apparently chuckle body pillows is the next. <laughs> I'm gonna look oh, into God, it. I'm gonna look, see what my supplier in the merch it, store offers. It would be an honor to be a body pillow in your home. I don't know that I should be selling them in the merch store. Come to think of it, I don't think that we need to put ourselves body pillows of me. <laughs> I'd rather we didn't. <laughs> I, I meant of both of us. Oh, yeah, I don't think we should. You That's... on one side, me on the other. I don't know. I've already, I've talked myself out of it. They're not available. We, I, I don't think they can happen. I also don't know if anyone's clamoring for that product. Don't say that. They're going to come. I know. I know. Okay. Right. No, we are not going to sell pillows of our bodies. <laughs> that... <laughs> joke is stone soap you are i've just mentally crossed over yeah i think all right oh god well, well thank god we still have more than half a show left. yep oh yeah it's gonna get more and more unhinged as we go um, it is it absolutely is all right so since patty's potential death occurred in a town with just 13 residents I think it's safe to assume that someone in the town knows exactly what happened. It is, of course, possible that Patty was attacked by a stranger passing through town. According to a statement made by a truck driver named Michael Pangui, uh, he said that a workmate told him 
that he and a friend had picked up Patty and his dog, drove to a location near a quarry in Mataranka to have a drink. The workmate then claimed his friend snuck up behind Patty, shot him and the dog, and then buried them in a shallow grave. The police searched the area, but found no evidence that a crime was committed there. Both the workmate and the friend denied any involvement in the crime, and the police were able to determine that both of those men were in Western Australia at the time of Patty's disappearance. So I don't know what Michael's problem is. Looking for a little attention, it seems. Uh, So while it is possible that a stranger was involved in Patty's disappearance, I'm more likely to believe that he was murdered by someone he knew. Yeah. Maybe someone with a grudge. So we're going to look at each Larimer resident and see if anyone has a motive. So we're going to start with Barry Burke, a.k.a. Cookie. Um, he said that he met Patty at the Daily Waters pub shortly before Patty moved to Larima. According to Cookie, four or five years before Patty's disappearance, Cookie and Patty had, quote, a big blue. Um, I assume that means an argument. A big blue. Like a blow yeah. maybe. I guess, but like blue spelled like the color. Oh, well, maybe that means like blue language, like bad language. Oh, I like this. I I, I just, yeah, I assumed it was some sort of argument um, because apparently Patty accused Cookie of stealing a Mars bar from the Larima Hotel. And since then, Cookie said he only goes to the hotel to get his mail. Wowzer. Which is also wild, especially when you think of there's not a heck of a lot else or to do there, or places to go, it's wild that he's like, well, then I'm just never going there again. Yeah. But Cookie says he last saw Patty on Wednesday, December 13th at the hotel. Patty was sitting outside the pub in his usual spot. The men said hello to each other. Cookie picked up his mail and returned home. He did not leave his house until Sunday, December 17th. Cookie told investigators he didn't believe that anyone would touch Patty, saying, quote, he is a bit of a shit stirrer, but not enough for anyone to knock him off. Cookie suggested that Patty may have gone to another town to visit friends or, quote, probably gone for a walk with his dog and fallen into a sinkhole. And while we normally save theories for the end of the episode, I'm going to say I truly don't believe that Patty just up and left town. Normally, when he did leave town, he locked all of his doors and shut his back gate because apparently there were a lot of feral donkeys in the area. Uh, As we know, the gate was found open and the back door was unlocked. Also, there was food for both Patty and the dog left out, and it looked as though they were in the middle of a meal when they disappeared. No vehicles were missing from the house, and Patty's keys, cash, and bank cards were all found at the house. There has also been no activity on his bank accounts since before his disappearance. It also doesn't make sense for him to up and leave out of nowhere without telling anyone, especially when no one has heard from him since. Um, David Graham 
said he first met Patty at the Larimer Hotel when David moved to the town in late 2010s. He said Patty seemed like a pretty good bloke, and David claimed not to be aware of any disputes involving Patty. At the time of Patty's disappearance, David was on a 13-day trip to Kananara, where he had gone to re-register a vehicle. He returned to Larima on December 22nd. According to cell phone records, David made a call in Kananara on December 15th at 4.31 p.m. The next call wasn't made until December 17th at 7.42 p.m. Kananara is approximately 430 miles or 692 kilometers west of Larima. Is it possible David drove all night to attack Patty and then returned to Kananara as an alibi? In the grand scheme of anything being possible, sure. Except David just has no motive. Because he barely knows Patty to begin with. So I also just don't believe he'd go to that much trouble <laughs> to do it. Right. Then we have Billy Hodgetts, who met Patty more than 20 years ago at a random pub. The pair became friends when Patty moved to Larima, and they saw each other most days. Billy believes he last saw Patty on the morning of December 16th, when Patty went to the hotel to do some odd jobs. Billy's caravan is right outside the hotel, so he, of course, sees the comings and goings. Uh, Billy said that Patty never mentioned leaving town or even having any sort of problems. Billy even said Patty's health had been good, so he felt Patty's disappearance was out of character. And again, Billy just doesn't have the motive. For me, I don't see that they I don't see him having any sort of grudge or any anger towards uh Patty whatsoever. Uh Lenny Hodson said he had known Patty for about 14 years when Patty disappeared. Lenny described them as good mates and said if they ever had a disagreement, they would easily make up over a beer. According to Lenny, the last time he saw Patty was on the morning of December 16th at the Larima Hotel. Lenny told Patty he was heading down to Victoria, which he did every year around Christmas, and Patty allegedly said he was thinking about going to visit a friend in Bowen, Queensland. Patty had said that if he was going to go to Queensland, he'd likely fly there and then put his dog in a kennel. The dog that we can tell did not go to any kennel. Right. He didn't take any flights, so obviously that never happened. But when Lenny first learned that Patty was missing, Lenny immediately went over to Patty's house to make sure he wasn't trapped under a vehicle, which is such an oddly specific thing to say. Uh, Lenny then said there was no sign of Patty when he got there. He said he didn't go inside the house, um, but then Lenny left for his holiday as planned on December 19th. Karen and Mark Rayner, the newest residents of Larima, said that they were very good friends with Patty. When they first moved to town, Karen spent most the first few years working at the hotel where she got to know Patty very well. They even stayed on good terms after she stopped going to the hotel. Why did they stop going? Because while working at the pub, the barman Richard accused Karen of stealing money. Karen denies it, but I can see why she would refuse to go back after something like that. Patty and the Rainers were known to socialize at each other's homes. 
at the time of Patty's disappearance, Mark was in the process of fixing Patty's lawnmower. He said he was waiting on parts uh, to come in to complete the job. Mark Rayner has also stated that Patty was, quote, the only one in Larima we would have gone out of our way to help. Not much of a surprise when there was a time when Mark and Karen had broken down on the side of the road and Lenny and Cookie passed by them without stopping. My point is, there was a lot more infighting amongst the residents than it may have seemed. Uh, so we're going to take a moment for an infighting side note. I love it. When the residents were interviewed by police on December 25th, they each admitted they didn't all get along. At one point, Barry was lending himself money through the Larima Progress Association. And when Carl caught him doing it, Barry hit him in the back of the head and Carl ended up taking him to court. It led to Barry banning all the locals from the pub for a while. So Patty took Barry's side of the argument simply because he didn't want to lose that pop. <laughs> Wowzer. I get it. Uh, then there was the time that the second servo station in town, the Green Park Tourist Resort, which was located on the southern end of Larima, mysteriously burnt down. At the time, it was owned by Diane, the daughter of Bobby and Carl Roth. Barry claimed Diane burned down the property for the insurance money. Larima resident Fran blamed Barry for the fire. So there was just like so much bickering in and amongst them. I think part of it was a case of there wasn't a lot to do. There was a lot of boredom. And that was how they passed some time. Yeah. It seems um, like there was also uh, how Bobby Roth admitted if she ever came across Barry in an accident, she would rather, quote, step on his throat then try and help him. I, I think that that is another kind of thing that you, when you watch the documentary, you see that it's a lot of big language. Like a lot of like, you know, it's not one of those things where it's like, if he needed help, I would just walk the other way. It's I'd step on his throat. Like it's like, it's, yeah. it feels very um, heated. Oh yeah. There was definitely never the lightest. Like, you know what? I didn't really like him. It was like, if he was on fire, I'd set him on fire more. Yeah. <laughs> like it was, it was, exactly. it was always intense Yep, because this is years building up, I think. And they just kind of got to the point they were all sick of each other. Uh, in an interview about Larima that took place a few years before Patty went missing, Bobby's husband, Carl, said that most of the residents got along pretty well, but there were, of course, a few exceptions. Then Carl added, quote, well, there hasn't been a murder or anything yet. And yet here we are. <laughs> Great point. <laughs> really wild foreshadowing from Carl. Right? Yeah. I thought so. So when the Rainers first heard that Patty was missing, they immediately went to his house to start searching for him. They both told investigators they were very unhappy that Barry waited so long before telling them that Patty was missing. And while the concern could just be an act Mark and Karen don't seem to have a motive, and they seem to genuinely care about Patty as a person. Um, so, I, I mean, again, as we're going through, I'm just crossing people off the list. Yeah. 
So Carl Roth met Patty decades ago. They first met at a cattle station called Brunette Downs in the mid 80s. Apparently, Patty had a habit of lighting fires at the wrong time of year, uh, which was especially frustrating for Carl and his wife, Bobby, since they were the fire and emergency rescue service for Larima. Carl said Patty was known to have a bit of a temper, especially when drinking. And while they had a few arguments over the years, he said it never got physical. Bobby Roth met Patty when uh, he first moved to Larima. She said that they didn't speak much, so Bobby found Patty to be very rude and obnoxious, especially when he was drinking. Bobby's daughter, Diane, owned the top of the, top of the town servo station, which Patty bought from her uh, and converted into his home in 2010. According to Cookie, when Patty bought that property, he sold off a few of the transportable cabins that were on the property. They call them dongas, not to be confused with donger, which is Aussie slang for dick, <laughs> because it wouldn't be an episode of True Crime and Cocktails without Christy bringing up dicks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. We're doing great. <laughs> we're fine. But. Apparently, Patty was not supposed to sell those cabins, and according to Cookie, it caused a bit of trouble between Patty and the Roths. Was it enough trouble to cause Patty's death seven years later? <laughs> I doubt it. But, you know, uh, I say it as a, at least we know, I guess. Uh, Carl said the last time he saw Patty was December 14th, when Patty was taking a trailer full of garbage to the rubbish tip. Bobby said she last saw Patty riding his quad bike to the hotel on either December 14th or 15th. Barry Sharp is another resident who met Patty long before he ever got to Larima. Barry met Patty in Daily Waters. And years later, when Patty moved to Larima, he and Barry became like BFF because they spent most days at the hotel talking all afternoon. Barry described Patty as a good-natured, happy-go-lucky man. Barry said he last saw Patty on December 16th and that while Patty usually left around 4.30, that day he left closer to 5.30 or 6.00. Barry said that Patty had told him he wouldn't be working at the hotel the following day, but he would be stopping by to borrow Barry's lawnmower. When Patty didn't show up the following day, Barry said he went to his place, but Patty wasn't home. Barry assumed Patty was out for a walk, so he drove around the rubbish tip, but saw no sign of Patty, so he returned to the hotel. The next day, Barry returned to Patty's house, but there was still no sign of him. And yes, it's incredibly suspicious for Barry to say he was concerned about Patty, but then to wait three days before contacting the police. It was said that Barry was uncomfortable around the police because he used to be a poacher. So it's possible the delay in reporting Patty missing was more to do with Barry's feelings about the police than it was about Barry's feelings about Patty. But at the same time, I also don't see what motive Barry would have had to attack Patty. Some of the locals believe Barry killed Patty and fed his body to one of the crocodiles at the zoo. 
And doesn't that take us back to Tiger King and Carol Baskin potentially feeding her ex-husband to the tigers? That's just immediately what that made me think of. Sure. I like when it comes back to another one. You know, I like because they all kind of circle together and it just. Yeah. It's nice. In a death way. You know what I mean? I don't (laughs) know what that means. It's nice. In a death way. Yeah, I get it. I've lost it. So Richard Simpson started working as a barman at the Larimer Hotel about nine months before Patty's disappearance. However, he actually met Patty about nine years earlier at the Daily Waters Hotel, which apparently is just where everybody in this area meets. Uh, Richard said he sat and talked with Patty every day outside the front of the hotel He said the pair never argued, and they were really good friends. Richard said he last saw Patty around 6.30 p.m. on December 16th as Patty was leaving the hotel. Patty mentioned not working the next morning, but said he'd be coming by to pick up the lawnmower. There doesn't seem to be a motive for Richard to attack Patty in any way, but according to the hotel's owner, Barry Sharp, Richard drank too much and had to be let go. Barry even claimed that Richard was jealous of Patty, which doesn't seem like a solid theory because their lives were incredibly similar. So I don't know why there would be jealousy. Um, Again, I mean, it's nice to mention every single resident and then they're all like, no, I don't think it's them. That's nice. We will get to ones that I think it's them. But what I also love is is that it's like, doesn't feel like it, but could be. It's like a scripted murder mystery. Like, it's it's literally it is. like, they all did it. My favorite clue quote. Like, it's like, of course. as you unravel it, it's like, th- yeah, is it likely? But, but like, then I also go to, like, there was a moment with, like, Karen and Mark. And I'm like, we're just trusting them. Like, who oh, knows, I know. right? Like, it's like, here's the other thing is that. It's like these are flawed narrators to their own story, which is fascinating because there's no larger population of people to corroborate or disprove or discredit anyone's story. It's literally like they said they said because there's only 12 of them. Yep. Oh, it's so while I I agree with you, it's like there's no reason there's there's seemingly no reason, for example, Karen and Mark, they were a good relationship. He was fixing his lawnmower. There's part of me that just yep. goes, but who knows? <laughs> oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. This is one of the darker things I've said. It could be anybody. It could be anybody. It really feels like it. And that's the thing, again, that's just like so interesting about this story is that it's like, yeah, in a town of 13 where one person goes missing. Everyone kind of has oh, to yeah. be a suspect, right? There's not a, enough people for yeah. you not to be. Oh, 100%. And I mean, I don't think this was something that was planned out in advance. But I absolutely think this was like a spur of the moment just kind of happened. And if he was intoxicated heading home. Yeah. I mean, he would have had a potential different reaction to whoever he came across than he might have normally had. Yeah. And who knows what could have happened. I mean, <laughs> I know to us it feels like we're almost done the show, but like we are so far. We're so far. I'm going to stop talking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's get back into it. Yeah, of course. 
just love, yeah, normally by this point of time in the record, we're at the end. <laughs> Speculating. Oops. No. No, I love it when we, uh, I love it when we go off script. And I was going to say, I like it. it when you call me Big Papa. That's not helpful. Put your hands in the air if you can, if you're a true player. player. There it is. We can't afford that. So, Mark Rayner claimed to have seen Richard's tire tracks near Patty's house after his disappearance. The fact that he knew specifically that those were Richard's tire tracks, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But he also claimed that he and his wife saw five or six dead puppies at the rubbish tip that they believed were killed by Richard. Richard absolutely denies this and even lists off the people who adopted those five or six puppies that were in question. Um, again, though, I don't feel like Richard has a motive, but again, to your point, it could have been just like a, it kind of happened. I also would just uh, so, like to see the proof of these, of these dogs being still alive. Sure. Cause I mean, what we're talking 2017. Yeah. If they were puppies in 2017, the odds of them still being alive should be pretty high. I'd hope. But. Just saying it. Give, I don't know. It would Again, give him credibility. So many. It would give him credibility, right? It's true. It's just such a wild thing. How many of them, if they didn't like each other, they loathed. Yeah. Again, each it's, other. It's fascinating. There was never a not a fan, but he's fine. Yeah. It was always either either I get along with him, he's fine, or I fucking hate yeah, him. Exactly. There was no in between. So I found that. Well, because also, again, like accusing someone of killing puppies is pretty extreme if it's not true. And if it is true, it's pretty extreme. Like it's it's you know what I mean? Like that's just one example of the many. But you know what I'm saying? Oh, 100 percent. I have so many questions because it's also like if you saw the puppies. I know that they didn't have police in the. Like in their town, but take photos of proof and then call the cops and if the bodies are moved you at least can be like i have here's photos to show you but it was just like this is what we saw mhm yeah did you i don't know maybe i don't think so god i hope not i but. trust no one on either side you can't trust anybody in this job <laughs> you can't i know that i know that i'm Talking like a cop now. Look, you can't trust anyone. Nope. So, then we come to Fran Hodgetts. Now, the way I mentioned this before, but the way that Larima is laid out Fran's house is in the north, the Larima Hotel is just south of Fran. The rest of the residences are south of the hotel, but Patty's house is in the north, directly across the highway from Fran's house. Again, I will post a map on our socials, um, but likely due to their proximity and the fact that they were both very strong personalities, Fran and Patty absolutely did not get along. Fran said, 
that she met Patty about 30 years earlier. Do you want to guess where? The Daily Waters <laughs> Pub. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I know the answer. I can't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, she said they were initially on good terms, but things deteriorated after Patty moved across the road from her. She described Patty as, quote, big, big, big trouble. Fran said things got worse after she and her husband Billy split in 2014. Fran said that Patty took Billy's side, and soon Fran told Patty he was no longer welcome at her tea house. According to Fran, the split happened in the first place because Billy never stood up for her when Patty would harass her. But once Fran kicked Billy out, she said everyone turned on her and Patty's harassment then got worse. Patty put up a fence on his property to stop Fran's customers from parking there. He also put up a sign that stated that the best meat pies in town were sold at the Larima Hotel. Which irritated Fran because she said she was known for her meat pies, which she sold at the tea house. But Patty took things further than a simple sign. He gave an interview to an ABC journalist in 2011, where he was quoted as saying, quote, Fran's got the worst pies, and I'll fucking tell you that. They were shit over there. I used to go over there, and the dog wouldn't eat Fran's pies. Fran, clearly hurt by this statement, responded saying, she never once sold Patty one of her pies, so he shouldn't know. Don't attack the woman's pies. And it should be noted, too, you may have mentioned this, but these are like traditional meat pies. These are not yes. sweet pies. Unfortunately. I Look, like a meat pie. I will down a chicken pot pie. <laughs> yeah. Chicken pot pie and I intertwined. <laughs> Likes is a, a chicken pot pie is 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 my is my soul flame. What was it called? Twin flame. Twin flame. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Oh God, no! Who are we kidding? Slurpees are my twin flame. Yeah. Um, but uh, if I had the choice, yeah, between a, a a chicken pot pie and a variety of fruit pies especially if you've got cinnamon in there well we we did i, I know it's been a long time since we recorded the beginning of the show but we did get into this <laughs> apple cherry yes. cinnamon pie situation already yes what i'm hearing my is point you really are craving pie <laughs> <laughs> my point is just i am much more a sweet pie than i am a a meat pie like don't don't put a beef in my pie I'll mess with anything. Sure. Other than, look, other than if lamb. Somebody else, other than lamb, I'm not. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Look, if somebody wants like a, a beef meat pie, great. That's good for you. We are all different and we're allowed to be. To be honest, I don't really like eating pork either or any other, most animals. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How do you feel about a chicken pot pie? Uh, a chuck pie? Chuck pie? A chuck pie. Uh, I yeah. would I would try that. Of course. Yeah. Chicky chicky chuck chuck pie. I got to stop. We got to stay on track. <laughs> this is 
It's harder than it seems. So, Fran said that Patty interfered with her property. Between 2010 and 2017, Fran made nine complaints to the police about Patty. In June 2010, Fran claimed Patty stole the $200 red umbrella from her front yard. When questioned by police, Patty said when he heard that Fran was blaming him, he went out and bought a similar umbrella and put it on the table outside his house just to, quote, stir her up. This is a man with too much time on his hands. But there's also my instinct that's like, is he teasing her because he likes her and her attention? I'm also, well, listen, I don't want to speculate, but I was like, they met each other 30 years prior. Is it possible they had some kind of relationship at some point? Is it possible that's why he was so shitty to Fran? And that's why she so desperately wanted Billy to stand up for her? In a town I... of 13, <laughs> the statistically speaking, it wouldn't be insane to think that perhaps they had had some sort of relationship or relationship adjacent past. Just putting that out there. Oh, it's more than possible. I mean, oh God, I have a lot. Again, I have so many questions about, about them. God, it must be so quiet there at night. I bet that's nice. You say nice, I say terrifying. Of silence? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Because then any Again, tiny though, creak, any tiny bump, any tiny whatever, it's that, right? Sure. Sure. I mean, I am, I, I did also recently confess to you, I, I'm starting to dislike being outside at night <laughs> in the dark. I, I told you I was worried I had to rush home because the riffraff were coming out and you responded, Christy, it's 6.30 p.m. I did. I did. And that's when I was like, God, we're getting old. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that happened. And then I love that I tried to defend myself because you were like, uh, you were like, I don't know. It's pretty sunny here at that time of day. And I was like, here, it's pitch black. Again, I just by, by seven. Sure, by seven. It's pitch black. Which, is it pitch black? Okay. At, is it pitch black at six thirty though? Really? Really? <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Anyway. Oh man. You know where so, it's going to be dark? Laramie. After dark, any you know, there's no. I don't think there's a lot of street lights out there. Silent, pitch black, terrifying. Once you see the sun is not directly ahead, you start heading home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I fully lost it. I did not expect this episode to be, of all the episodes, quite a path for us to take. I think we're just excited and, you know. We are. Yeah. Because we don't usually watch them together. So we both know where this is going. We both know where it's going. And I think that that's what it is, is that I'm like, I'm getting impatient because I'm like, oh, like, let's get to it. And then we can really get into it. But then in, for some yeah. reason, it's also like we're taking the left hand turns. I don't know. I'm going to shut up. I'm going to shut up until we get to the end. You're going to shut up. I need to shut up. Talking about fucking pies and nighttime scares. I just, it t I just sort of, you know, 
intimated that maybe these two intimated, you know? Anyway, continue. Yeah, yeah. I get it. And look, it's more than possible. Is it possible they were a couple and she left him for Billy at one point and that caused some problems? Who knows? Who knows? But, so, a month after this whole umbrella incident, Fran called the police to say that Patty had stolen books and memorabilia from her tea house. But then she turned around and called the cops soon after and went, well, it might have been tourists. <laughs> yeah. On July 7th, 2011, Fran claimed that Patty was threatening tourists and scaring them away because they were parking on his land. Patty said that it was his land. He had the right to do what he wanted. Police had to go to his house with a map to show Patty that the land that Fran's customers were parking on was actually crown land, not Patty's. Fran then installed CCTV cameras to try and catch Patty the next time he did something. Ten days after that complaint, Fran told the police that Patty was abusing her customers and that he had placed a glass bottle under a customer's tires. Fran also said she believed that Patty was telling customers the food at the tea house was crap and that it was not safe to park on his land, which again was not his land. In September 2011, Fran, Fran claimed that Patty had broken a plastic fitting on a hose connected to her water pump. There was a broken piece, but there was no proof that Patty was involved. Then September 2013, Fran told police that Patty and his dog were in Fran's yard at 9.45 p.m. Patty claimed he was just trying to retrieve his dog because he kind of gave his dog free reign to go wherever she wanted. And if she ended up in someone else's yard, he'd just go get her. <coughs> so Fran also claimed that Patty had been switching her open sign to closed to disrupt her business. Patty uh, was served a trespass notice, which prohibited him from entering Fran's property. In April 2014, Fran told police that Patty was stalking her. She said he would sit in his front yard with binoculars and yell to Fran's customers saying her food was not very good. The feud got so bad that on September 7th, 2016, Fran and Patty signed a truce, agreeing to be civil towards each other. The agreement included they would limit their interactions to necessity, respect each other's privacies. If one person waves, the other had to wave back, and they had to smile at each other. It also included that they had to leave past matters in the past as long as it didn't reoccur. Examples were plant and property damage, property theft, and interference with personal and business items. It was signed by Fran, Patty, and a witness. Like, they fully went for this. However, despite this agreement, Patty continued to have a sign outside his home, which I will remind you is right across the street from Fran's tea house, the sign said that the best pies in town were at the Larima Hotel, which of course irritated Fran because she sold pies at 
her place across the street. Patty then added a small sign that read, Franz Sweeney Todd Pies. (laughs) Because, of course he did. Oh, my God. And that means a Sweeney Todd side note. Oh, my word. Sweeney Todd is a fictional barber who killed his customers with a straight razor and gave their corpses to his partner, who baked them into meat pies. Sweeney Todd first appeared in the Penny Dreadful series The String of Pearls in 1846, but has since been featured in numerous stage plays, musicals, radio plays, TV movies, comics, a 1959 production by the Royal Ballet, Uh, And multiple movies, including the 2007 Tim Burton movie featuring Johnny Depp, Alan Rickman, and goddess Helen Bonham Carter. Oh, yeah. Is this the second episode in a row where I organically mentioned a Johnny Depp movie? Absolutely. Stay tuned for our next episode to see if I can organically make it to three. (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler, I doubt it. but Oh, I'm going to try. I love it. So... Uh, Shout out to our dear listeners who went to see Lauren in Chicago back in September. First, thank you for showing her support. I appreciate it because Lord knows she deserves the world. And to those who told her to let me know how much they enjoyed the side notes, that one was for you. (laughs) So, (laughs) So, just 42 days after they signed that agreement, which was adorable... Fran applied for a personal violence restraining order against Patty. However, her application was dismissed and she was ordered to pay Patty $500. On August 29th, 2017, Fran told police that someone had poisoned her new plants. Fran claimed that Billy and Patty were the culprits. According to the police report, they were unable to prove whether either man was involved Fran said she had no proof because someone cut the lines to her CCTV cameras. But Patty wasn't the only person in town that had issues with Fran. Apparently, she used to be really close with Bobby and Carl Roth, but the relationship soured over time. Bobby used to work for Fran, helping out at the tea house, and Carl would take on odd jobs for her. Carl said, quote, I was sort of the call out to go and fix things. And yes, sometimes several times a day. It got to the stage where I was very unenthusiastic about it. She'd come and I'd bolt out the back door. (laughs) Carl was even the one who ordered and installed the CCTV cameras that Fran had requested. However, Carl stopped helping Fran altogether when she once called him to fix Billy's TV Carl discovered that the cable to the TV had been cut, and Fran admitted she cut it herself. Carl said, quote, that was the last thing I ever fixed for her. During the investigation into Patty's disappearance, Bobby told police that Fran once told her she wanted Patty dead. So during the initial search, police searched Fran's property, including her septic tank, her barbecue, and her incinerator, but they found nothing. Fran's initial interview with the police lasted four and a half hours. A witness at the inquest into Patty's death, named Wayne Ledwidge, 
claimed at some point in late 2017, he went to the government center in Catherine with his neighbor, Brian Roberts. While there, Wayne claims that Fran approached them, mentioned a neighbor who was giving her a hard time, and said she needed to get rid of him. Wayne claims that Fran offered them $10,000 to get rid of Patty. Wayne said, quote, she said she had 9000 cash, but she could get more. Then according to Wayne, Fran wrote down her phone numbers on the back of the papers that Brian was carrying, and Brian said he knew a guy who would do it. And when the news came out that Patty had disappeared, Brian said to Wayne, quote, he didn't have to do the dog. That, of course, then is implying that Brian's friend had, in fact, killed Patty. But police were able to confirm that Fran, Wayne, and Brian were all in Catherine on December 1st, 2017. I don't think they were specifically setting up meetings or anything. I think it's reasonable they all happened to be in a government office on that specific day, probably because government checks come out at a very specific time of the month. So I feel like that's not a surprise that they would be there at the same time. But according to Brian's phone records, none of the numbers that Brian called belonged to Fran. Also, according to those phone records, Wayne and Brian were in Catherine on December 16th and 17th. So they couldn't have had been, they wouldn't have been anywhere near Patty that night. So it couldn't have been either of them. But of course, that only gives them an alibi. What about this supposed friend of Brian's who Brian claimed would do the job? Well, according to Brian's phone records, the only calls he made in the months leading up to Patty's disappearance were to a female friend, Wayne, and to a health clinic. So either the killer was this female friend or someone who worked at the health clinic or Wayne and Brian were lying. But why lie? It's so bizarre. It is. I can't help but wonder if it's a case of like, again, are people just bored? The only other thing I would offer is that when we're dealing with this kind of location, I know this is going to sound crazy, but like, do we trust the cell phone records? Like, I don't know that this isn't a big city. Like, isn't it possible they just walked over or drove over to this friend's house and had a conversation in real life. Like we know that in Laramie, there's like no cell service. So again, it's like, I just don't, if this was a normal case in a big city or not even a big city, but like in something that wasn't so rural, I would be listening to that cell phone evidence as like, that's pretty damning. Sure. But I don't know whether it is for me again. And I know that it just keeps coming back to like, it could be anybody, but it's like, Sure. I just don't know why they would make it up. And and that's not to say that I think that they were involved. I think for me, it's just more, I don't know that I would take cell phone evidence as being gospel when there's no self-service in the area. They're, they could find another way to get to the Sure. Person. Oh, To communicate like, hey, do you want to do this deal? Yes. And uh, to quote uh, dear friend of the show, our very own cloud lawyer, uh, Miss Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> Don't have discussions like that in like a text or on a, like have it in a way that no, no one can ever 
know that it happened. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, why wouldn't they go have that talk in person? Yeah. With, without ever having contacted the person using a cell phone. It is possible, Correct. believe it or not. Is it likely in this day and age? No. But again, we're dealing with a very specific set of circumstances here in terms of yeah, location. I'm, I need to believe that police went through her, like his banking. Did he receive, like right. did he put thousands of dollars into his account or not? I don't know. But while claiming that Brian's friend supposedly was going to kill Patty, Wayne also tried to claim that Brian was personally responsible for the murder of British tourist Peter Falconio, who disappeared while traveling with his girlfriend in the Northern Territory in July 2001. Despite Peter's body not being found, Bradley John Murdoch was convicted of Peter's murder in December 2005 and sentenced to life imprisonment. Murdoch claims to be innocent, and I get that that's possible, but it could also mean that Brian Roberts was not involved in any way. Again, it's a weird thing. Why would you lie about it? Why would you bring it up? I don't know. But at this point, we only have Wayne's word for it because Brian Roberts died of natural causes in April 2019. The thing that sticks out to me about this whole idea that Fran paid these guys to get rid of Patty is that according to Wayne, Fran said she had 9,000 cash, but that she could get more. But according to Bobby Roth, when she and Fran were on better terms, Fran asked Bobby to store some cash for her in Bobby's safe. The amount? $30,000. So if that's true, and Fran had that kind of money, why would she tell the guys she only had 9000 Is it possible Bobby was wrong about the amount? Sure. Is it possible Fran spent a large chunk of that money prior to 2017? Sure. I'm just not convinced Fran would openly solicit a hitman. Uh, it's possible, though, uh, but I'm not so sure. Fran, of course, denies it. She said, quote, I can tell you now, I never, ever, ever, ever paid anybody to bump Patty off. I swear to God, on my mother's grave, I know nothing about Patty. So at this point, it's just Fran's word versus Wayne's. But maybe there is someone connect, someone else connected to Fran who may have been involved in Patty's disappearance. In August 2017, Fran placed an ad in the Catherine Times newspaper looking for a caretaker and gardener. Owen, La o Owen Laurie responded to the ad on September 4th, 2017. He called Fran. She invited him down for a chat. According to Owen, it was then that Fran told him about the problems she'd been having with Patty. Owen later said if she had told him all of that before he went to Larima, he never would have gone. Owen also claimed that when he first arrived at Fran's, he could smell the Glyphosate, uh, which was used to kill Fran's plants, it is a non-selective herbicide, meaning it will just kill everything. Owen was given a small bungalow on Fran's property in exchange for Owen tending to the garden. He didn't speak with anyone in town except for Fran. He also didn't go to the hotel, and most of the residents didn't even know he existed 
which is wild in a town with that few people. Yeah. According to Owen, he only ever spoke to Patty once, and that was on December 13th, just three days before Patty's disappearance. A few weeks after Owen moved in, he started putting in plants along Fran's fence, but Fran told him, don't put them there, the boys will poison them. Owen responded, quote, any fucking bastard comes in here and poisons my fucking garden, it will be the first murder in Larima. Owen later claimed he was only joking. Mm. Mm. On September 23rd, 2017, Fran called police again to say her plants were now covered in an oily substance. And again, she believed Billy and Patty were to blame. On the morning of December 13th, Fran went to Darwin to buy new plants for her yard. Just before she left, Owen told her that he had a shouting match with Patty. Apparently, it was a fight over Patty's dog, Kelly, who was known to go onto Fran's property. Richard said he saw Patty and Kelly on the road near Fran's pie shop, and Kelly was barking like crazy. When Richard asked Patty what Kelly's problem was, Patty said Owen had told him, quote, you need to shut that fucking dog up or I'll shut it up for you. To which Patty responded, quote, you mind your business, old man. My dog can bark where it wants. It's none of your business. Shut your mouth or I'll take your knees out from under you. Also, reminder, these were men in their 70s. <laughs> I know. It's it's wild. But Richard told Patty to be careful. And Patty said, quote, it's all good. I've got a baseball bat. Which police did locate under Patty's bed. Fran uh, had told some of her customers that Kelly constantly wandered over to her place and that she was worried that the dog would get hit by a car. After Patty's disappearance, Fran told the police um, that he had had she had had words with Patty about the dog and Patty had told her simply to shut up. She said before she left for Darwin, she told Owen not to do anything stupid because she didn't want to come back and find out that she needed to bail him out of jail. When Fran returned to Larima on the afternoon of December 15th, she asked Owen how things went, and he told her he stayed inside because he didn't want any hassles. Then Fran discovered that someone had put the body of a dead kangaroo under her window. And while that may seem shocking, it wouldn't be completely out of Patty's wheelhouse because according to Fran, there was a time when Patty had accidentally hit a donkey with his car, and for whatever reason, Patty cut off the creature's penis and threw it at Fran's house. That detail did chill me. Yeah. Yeah, there was no way I was doing this episode without bringing it up. You got to. So, the following day, she and Owen planted the new plants that Fran had just bought and set up a new water feature. This is the moment where I will remind that that coroner's report stated, quote, in my opinion, Patty was killed in the context of and likely due to an ongoing feud with his nearest neighbors. He likely died on the evening of December 16th, 2017. There is no evidence as to where he went. However, 
it is likely that the new plants at Fran's place were of some attraction. As though maybe seeing those new plants might have been the reason that Patty chose to leave his house on the night of his disappearance. When Barry Sharp spoke with investigators, he said that Patty had mentioned having ongoing arguments with the new caretaker at Fran's place. So we know that Owen and Patty had issues and that a large part of them involved Kelly's barking. Is it possible that while preparing food on the night of December 16th, Patty looked outside, saw the new plants that Fran and Owen had planted, and maybe he went outside to get a closer look? The dog followed him. Owen said that on the night of December 16th, he received a malware message on his computer that gave him a phone number he needed to call. So Owen went to the public phone box, which was right on the edge of Fran's property, and made two calls, one at 6.30, one at 6.31 p.m., to the number that had come up on his computer. So maybe while he was making those calls, Kelly was making noise, and Owen just snapped. When asked about the argument that he had with Patty on December 13th, Owen told investigators that Kelly had crossed the highway and was near the fence where he was working, Owen said he yelled at the dog to go away, and she returned to Patty's house after Patty called her. Owen then said he told Patty to keep the dog on his own property. Patty told him just to shut up. Owen then told Patty to come over, but Patty didn't, and the conversation ended. Owen said it was the only conversation he'd ever had with Patty, and it wasn't aggressive in any way, although he did admit he had a quick temper. Fran even said she rarely spoke to Owen because he has a temper. According to Richard, who worked as the barman at the Larima Hotel, Richard used to walk his three dogs in the morning along a dirt road behind Fran's property. But once Owen moved in, he started taking another route because if Owen would see Richard out there, Owen would sick his own dog. On Richard's dogs. Also, in his youth, Owen used to do bare knuckle boxing and would challenge anyone who was up for it. So he had a temper and he had experience throwing a punch. Is there anything that might make us think Owen was involved in Patty's disappearance directly? Well, during the inquest, it was revealed that two weeks after Patty's disappearance, the police secretly installed listening devices in the bungalow where Owen Laurie lived. The devices were planted thanks to a warrant that was issued by the Supreme Court on December 28, 2017. The recordings, which mostly featured Owen singing to himself or to his dog, were played for the court. There were eight total, recorded over a five-month span between January 9th and January 5th, 2018. Some of them were difficult to understand, but the same theme is brought up over and over again. And I'm going to paraphrase on these because they were long, and a lot of them are just very repetitive. Uh, but just to give you a taste of what these recordings were like, uh, a small sampling. In the first one, I will say the man in the recording says, quote, fucking idiots, Tell him how I've hit you with a fucking hammer. Then a recording from February 14th said, quote, Well, they didn't fucking find the hammer. Well, they can't get me for anything. 
February 23rd, the recording said, quote, I killerated old Patty with the fuck with that fucking killerated him, struck him on the fucking head and killerated the bastard, struck him on the head and killerated him, basherated him. Catchy tune. Two days later, the recording said, quote, you fucking killed Patty, donged him on the head, fucking killed Patty, hit him on the head, smacked him on the fucking nostrils with me claw hammer. The line smacked him on the nostrils with me claw hammer is then repeated seven or eight times in a row. Later in another recording from that same night, he just kept repeating smacked him on the nostrils, except he added noises like he was making it some sort of fun song. For example, smacked him on the nostrils, buck, 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 stracked him, smacked him on the nostrils, buck, buck, buck. Somehow this is going right back to Chicky Chicky Chicky. <laughs> I didn't think it was possible, but it is. <laughs> Somehow. But the point is, it's it's weird. Even if you had nothing to do with the death, it's weird to bring it up in like a jokey, weird time when you're alone. Yeah. But but I can't tell um, if these recordings are of a man who doesn't realize what he's truly done or if he's fully aware and gets some sort of sick joy out of it singing in like a celebration. Maybe it's a case of drunken guilt talking and making a song out of it. He maybe feels less guilty. I don't know. But the recording on March 1st said, quote, you got to find out who fucking done it, mate. That's if you don't find the fucking body to find out who done it. What you reckon there is a body somewhere and you want to find out who done it. I can tell you, you are not finding out I tell you fucking repeatedly, you are not finding out. Recording from May 24th, quote, Dancing with my baby in the middle of the night. I had a fight in the middle of the night. What was I doing? You brush my dog. I'm not your friend, cunt. Did I win? You're full of fucking shit, mate. Fuck me dead, mate. Bashing up people. He's a good bloke. He's terrible. No wonder I fucking belted him. He would have been going to the coppers, I tell you that. And the final recording on June 5th is allegedly Owen talking to his dog Ruby, saying, quote, Ruby, what did you do with my book? I kill you myself. I kill pup dogs. Owen claimed the voice on the recordings were not him mm. and denied any involvement in Patty's disappearance. Owen then chose to remain silent throughout the rest of the inquest. Police found what they believed to be blood in Owen's vehicle, but two weeks later, he was cleared. Once the police gave Owen his car back, he immediately sold it, which is incredibly suspicious. Mm -hmm. Fran claims that when the police first arrived to search her house, Owen told her he thought the police had come for him. And maybe the recordings aren't admissible or something, but they feel like a pretty solid evidence that Owen Laurie allegedly killed Patty Moriarty and his dog Kelly. But maybe it's difficult to prove that Owen is the only one speaking on those recordings. I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. Or maybe, for the sake of speculating, to quote the 1985 cinematic classic Clue, they all did it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, I love it. Yep. 
Maybe Owen did the actual murder, but someone else helped him dispose of the bodies, or possibly just saw or heard what happened and turned a blind eye. It just starts to look suspicious when they all blame each other for it. Like Barry and the Rainers blamed Richard, but Fran blamed Barry, saying that uh, he fed Patty's body to the crocodile. There was also a comment that someone may have heard gunshots on the night of December 16th. Carl had experience with guns. He spent a few years, quote, shooting feral dogs in Western Australia. Don't love that. Don't love it. Uh, at the time of Patty's disappearance, Carl owned eight firearms. Barry also had a gun and had experience using it because he used to be a poacher. And around the time of Patty's disappearance, Richard had borrowed Barry's gun to shoot a hawk. So maybe Patty's antics had officially annoyed the entire town enough they willingly either participated in the crime or simply acted as though they didn't know what happened. I'm not suggesting they knew, but I truly believe at least some of them know more than what they are saying. So what has happened to the Larima residents since Patty's disappearance? Will Carl and Bobby Roth both remain in Larima, as does Cookie? However, Cookie has plans to sell his home with the hope to move to Tasmania to reunite with his partner. Mark and Karen Rayner also hope to sell their house. Their plan is to move to Darwin. Richard Simpson moved to a sheep farm about 2,500 miles or 4,000 kilometers away from Larima. Uh, after being diagnosed with prostate cancer, Barry Sharp put the Larima Hotel up for sale. Included in the sale was the zoo, which featured the snakes, the sugar gliders, two emus, approximately 600 birds, and Barry's three crocodiles, which include Ray Ray, the blind freshwater croc who was named after Ray Charles. <laughs> yeah. Agro, the saltwater croc, and Sneaky Sam. Shut up. <laughs> who was a, a saltwater croc that measured three and a half meters long. Sneaky Sam, I'm sorry, but I'm fucking charmed. Yeah, it's. And I'm disappointed, not a single hat. Sneaky Sam sounds like a hat guy. Absolutely. You know? uh, uh, the day before the auction of the hotel, the head fell off of the Pink Panther statue that sits out front. The locals used a front loader to put the head back on just before the auction started. And while the hotel didn't actually sell during that auction, it was purchased by a prominent territory family in October 2018. Uh, Barry Sharp then died December 7th, 2019, at the age of 77. In 2020, the hotel was purchased by a young couple from the Czech Republic named Andra Hadris and Lucy Menarikova. They arrived in the Northern Territory with the plan of only staying for a few weeks, but then the pandemic happened, so they were essentially trapped. So they just decided to make the best of it and put down some roots. In early 2022, they welcomed a son, Matthew, who was the first baby born in Larima in 40 years. Fran Hodgetts currently lives in Melbourne with one of her daughters. She left Larima after a cancer diagnosis that required her to seek regular treatments. Fran's grandson, Brent, is currently keeping Fran's tea house running in her absence. 
Fran says that she does hope to move back to Larima once her treatment is over. Fran's ex-husband, Billy Hodgetts, died in 2022 at the age of 77. Owen Laurie has since left Larima, and there is no confirmation on his current whereabouts. 38,000 people go missing in Australia every year, with 98% of those being found safe. As of October 2023, Patty Moriarty and his dog Kelly have still not been found. Patty's case has inspired an Australian true crime podcast, a book, a four-part Radio National series, and of course, the new documentary on Max. There is currently a $250,000 reward for information that helps solve the case. But as of this record, no one has ever been arrested in connection with the case, and the investigation is ongoing. Reporting for whatever the fuck this episode was. <laughs> Magic. That's what it I'm was. Christy Oxborough. Magician. Yeah. I also don't mean the case or the documentary. I mean us. Oh, look, I think we're I, just I hope, think we're peak, hope they all know that. peak chuckle buddies. Um <laughs> Let's take one more break, hit the can, grab one more drink, and then we're going to come on back with our final thoughts on the last stop, Laramal episode of True Crime and Cocktails. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're, of course, discussing the Max documentary, Last Stop Laramie. All right, I'm going to go through this quick because we took a lot of turns in this one. Um, and I think I just have general thoughts and, and feelings also because, you know, I was writing down as we were going, I, was, I started a little a little motive list where I was like, who has motive here? And then I know as we were going, we were kind of saying like, well, kind of anybody. Um, but some of them, it wasn't as, it wasn't as like obvious as others, right? So like- Sure. You know, Wayne and Brian, for example, it's like, what is their motive really? I guess just getting paid, but then there also wasn't any proof. Um, like, that's kind of a weird thing. Obviously, if we're looking at the list, who has the most motive? Fran. We know this to be true. These two have had a very intense, very intense feud for a very long time. I mean, throwing a severed donkey penis at her home leaving a dead mm -hmm. kangaroo at her home, like, on top of everything else. It's like, this mm -hmm. is not just, oh, they don't really get along. This is like, 
I'm not just I'm I'm not saying that it's like, oh, it makes sense it went to murder. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying like this is big enough. This is this has gone on long enough and is big enough. That's a motive. People yes. we know this from doing this show for three years. People have killed for less. Um, which is not a good thing at all, but you know what I'm saying. Um Yes. The fact that there were so many previous complaints to the police, the fact that it was ongoing, she put in the CCTV camera, he's cutting the the cords, like, it just feels like things were really escalating, too, right? I th- I think you can say that when a severed donkey dick is thrown part into the of mix. that, yeah. I yeah. also love that, I wrote, you kept saying Wayne's word. And all I could think of was Wayne's word, Wayne's word, party time, his opinion. Excellent. <laughs> his opinion. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. So again, like I'm skipping through a lot here because I feel like I just really want to get to the get to the end and get to discussing the whole thing. Okay. Two things. One, you just casually reading the quote and then just like breezing over saying the C word was amazing. I love it. Well, because for Aussies, oh, cunt yes. is a whole other word than here. 100%. And I don't personally find it offensive. I know offensive. I know a lot of people do. I don't personally find it offensive. Sure. I think it's, again, like watching enough British content over the years. And also, it's oh, a different yeah. word. Um, yeah. The one thing, because we were talking earlier about how I was, I brought up Carol Baskin because I was like, oh, that feels like a parallel. The parallel, obviously, that I have to bring up here is, of course, the jinx. The fact that there was an audio sure. recording and we all... You know, I think most people in the true crime world have a sense at least of the jinx in that case and the fact that, you know, what's amazing about that also is that he was recorded because he was had a microphone on him for a documentary and essentially yep. forgot and was talking to himself in which he said, I did it, of course, I killed them all. Um, and it wasn't originally found because they had stopped filming. They didn't realize. So it wasn't right. until going through footage later or going through audio later, they even discovered it, which is just like such a fascinating and delicious like documentary fun fact tidbit yes but what i find interesting is this let's just speculate for a second owen is hired as fran's kind of like helper gardener you know without it being laid out in their job description probably protector to some level it seems like you know I could see if I were her, I wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable living in in that house alone, given how everything was going, et cetera. So I could sure. see wanting to employ, a, you know, somebody to to be there at all times and kind of like watch the property, et cetera. Yeah. The thing about Owen's recordings that I find interesting is it feels to me like, yeah, is this the musings of someone who's very guilty, of someone who's trying to process what they did? Is it the musings of someone who absolutely didn't commit the crime and lives in an extremely isolated place where he rarely speaks to anybody and these are the ramblings of someone who may have not had anything to do with it? I think that's why it can't hold up in court because there's no evidence to back it up, right? If you had the recordings along with something, something else um, other than the like little details that we know about his arguing with Patty, et cetera. But if there was physical evidence, if they were actually able to find that blood in his car, 
connect it to, you know, even if it was just a the same type as patties, for example, that would be something. But that brings me to my next question, which is, who did this that was able to do it so well? Because it seems, look, we have done this show long enough that I think it's safe to say it's very difficult to pull off a murder and not get caught. We absolutely hear about it on this show. Of course we do. But it just feels like the fact that there's nobody, no body of the true innocent in all of this, Kelly, by the way, who didn't, none of this, that, that, I mean, it's such a tragedy. Anyway, um, not that I'm saying that Patty deserved to die. Of course he didn't. But you know what I'm saying? I just think the idea that a dog was murdered in the process, like that poor dog, like, my God, so dark. Um, But you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like the fact that there was absolutely no trace. Yeah. To your point, it just does start to make your brain go to like conspiracy theory. They all did it. Like, it's like, how is it there's only 12 of you? You all love to point the finger at each other for for a multitude of reasons. But no one seems to have any sort of, but no one saw anything and nobody knows and, and weird. And I know in the documentary, a lot of people were talking about like, well, if you get lost in the wilderness... You can get very easily attacked, like it's not impossible. But I'm like, but sure. then there again, like without a, a an ounce of forensics, like nothing. You're mean to tell me he's wandering at night, and he and his dog get eaten whole, and we never see anything anywhere to back that up. I mean, given the physical evidence at the home, the fact that all of his, you know, wallet, keys, hat, it just doesn't feel to me like. That's what it was. And again, I just feel like, wouldn't we find something, a small tear of fabric, a shoe, you know what I mean? Like something. The fact that the one other detail that I do want to talk about very quickly is the one thing that chills me, and I could be completely blowing this up for no reason, but it's the fact that Kelly's collar was left at home. Sure. Dog owners, and it's a different place, so I'm wildly speculating, and I could be completely wrong, but, like, you never take your dog's collar off, especially if they're leaving the house with you. In this case, Patty was letting Kelly run run all around the neighborhood. So I'm going to assume likely wearing a collar, although I'm sure they would all recognize each other's dogs because there's so few of them. It just felt like an odd detail to me. One... I don't feel like you would, I, I mean, I don't know a lot of dog owners that would take their dog out for a walk without the collar on the dog. I never would, even in my little neighborhood, never. I'm like the chance that on some terrible occasion, the the dog gets away from me. Oh, God forbid. I can't even think about it. Um, I can't risk that it doesn't have the collar on. Yes, they're microchipped, but the whole point is, is that it's like, it's easy. I've, I've found one of my neighbor's dogs before. And I knew the dog, but I also was like, sure. I didn't have his number. So I was like, great. Like, that's just how it works. So to me, again, I'm like, yeah. I don't know that I buy that he would go out into the wilderness after dark with his dog on a walk, likely with the dog off leash, because it seems that that's what the relationship was, with no collar sure. on. Oh, yeah. Right? I'm convinced. I am absolutely convinced that. The collar was taken off because the plan was maybe the dog didn't like wearing the collar when it ate 
or the plan sure. was we're in for the night. Exactly. We're in. It's like it's like when a large chested lady gets home and goes, no bra. You take it off because it's more comfortable. Or some people just, you know, no pants. However, that wants to work. Um, I'm convinced the same is for a dog, cat, whatever of any kind, any animal that wears a collar, that it's probably nice to take it off. Totally. And so it feels very, he got home, was like, we're in for the night. So my hat's coming off. Your collar can come off. Go eat. And then I think he either saw something or heard something and walked out and the dog just was like, we're going out and just instinctively followed him. And I think if Owen was outside, because if he saw Owen making that phone call at 6.30 p.m., if he went out specifically because he was saw him or whatever it was, there's no way that dog wouldn't have barked at him. And you mean to tell me no one heard the dog barking? Well, and then, but here's my, even yes. Fran, who was like right there, or Great Billy, point. who was nearby. So let's say that happened. Okay, sure. Where does the murder take place? Does it take place in the middle of the road? Where's the blood evidence? You right? you hack somebody in the face with a claw hammer, not to be glib, but like there's going to be blood spray everywhere. This is a Absolutely. violent murder. If we are to believe Owen's recorded musings. Who knows? We don't have a of body, course. so we could speculate forever. But my point is, is that it's like, where would this murder have potentially taken place that there would be absolutely no sign of it? How is he going to get, was he somehow lured into the wilderness and then it happened there? They said that they did these, whatever it's called, like shoulder to shoulder the searches, shoulder to right? Shoulder, like, yeah. you would think Somewhere in the area, something would have been found if this murder was committed outside. If like, it's just so difficult. Again, like it's so difficult to not leave behind a shred of physical evidence. No forensics. Yeah. It, it feels almost like, did they get lured and then pushed into an incinerator? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, those start to feel yeah. like what my, where my speculating brain goes because- I don't know where, I don't know where that kind of bludgeoning could happen that there would never be any evidence found. And by the way, also, I agree with you. If that dog's barking, people are going to hear it. But also, if someone gets hit in the face with a hammer, oh yeah, people are going to hear it to the point that you made earlier. And then I laughed that it sounded terrifying. It must be silent out there. Sound will travel. These people, yeah. there's a bunch of these people that live in, fairly close proximity where I'm sorry yep. if someone is getting bludgeoned to death you're gonna hear something oh 100% now again we are only speculating and alleging we are not saying that any of this is true but if we go down this path we can understand why Fran who has a vested interest in perhaps Patty no longer being around maybe sure. wouldn't admit that these things were heard but we also know sure. that the hotel is 800 meters away yep we know that Billy lives near there. Yeah. And for all we've for all intents and purposes, we know Billy and Patty are friends. So you would think that if True. Billy heard something, and now I know 800 meters is, is a distance. I get it. It's gonna be hard to hear that. But I would also, I would love to do this is one of the I'd love to do that test. We go into the middle of nowhere. There's no buildings to absorb sound. 
What's the sure. science? How far could you hear it if someone was wailing? And I think the answer is pretty far. I would think so. But I think if Billy heard something and purposely didn't say anything, I think it goes back to uh, what we spoke to earlier because he was still in love with Fran. And that was exactly my next point, which was that it's like, oh, was was he potentially close enough that he could have heard something? They were friends, right? Why do we believe that? Why do we believe that? Because here's the other thing. The one person who would really know isn't here. Patty isn't here. So we're not getting yep. his side of the story. And at the end 100%. of the day, I mean, look, it's why this story is so fascinating, right? It's so compelling because it's so, yeah. it's such, it's so unique. But there is also obviously a world in which, jokes aside, they all did it in terms of like complacency or turning a blind eye or who knows? You know, like it's, it's, it's interesting because it feels like it's one of those things where it's like, we get that there was these huge feuds. We get that people were, were, you know, acting in extreme manners. But is it one of those things where it's like, yeah, we fight like hell, but we'll, we'll cover for each other. I don't know. Again, I'm, I'm only speculating. Yeah. It's like a hard sibling. Like, right. Uh, I'm going to fight with you, but nobody fucks with you because that's my job. Right. You know, and yeah, but also, yeah, I just don't, there are so many people that wouldn't have anything against Patty. So there are so many of them that I'm like, if they heard something, it wouldn't make sense for them not to say something. Right. Or were they threatened in some way? Like, it just doesn't make sense. It makes it makes no sense, but I just don't believe that could have happened with nobody hearing anything. Yeah. Especially because we're not talking two in the morning when people are napping. Napping. <laughs> when people are full on sleeping. There we go. Yeah. We're talking like 6.30 p.m. Like, I'm sure it could have happened at any point that night. Right. But we're talking probably like if he was in the middle of dinner and never came back to finish, it, everyone's awake at that point. I just want you to know I fact-checked myself here. Of course. And it says, on Earth, the sound from an average scream might travel about three-quarters of a mile depending on conditions. Interesting. So... I'm curious if that means you'd still be able to hear it. I feel like that's what we're saying here. Right? Right. Because if that's how far the sound wave goes, can you still hear it at that point? In space, and no also, one no one can hear you scream. I love that that's how this article starts. <laughs> <laughs> that's horrifying to think about. Um, my thing is, so... Uh, Assuming he's hitting him with a hammer, is the dog just sitting there? No. Like, the dog would be barking. Going nuts. And well, then- yeah. Like, yeah. But then, well, and I I don't even want to get in. I mean, I know that it's it's always so funny because we talk about murder on this show, and then I'm like, I don't want to talk about the dog being murdered. Um, of course. <laughs> that makes me feel awful. Uh, yes. I obviously care about people being murdered, too. But you know what I'm saying? It's just- it, Animals it's are different. such innocent. It hits it's, different. It hits different. Yeah. Um, 
but that, I mean, you would think Kelly has to be addressed first if if this is at all premeditated for that reason, right? That dog could sure. attack you. I mean, I got a seven-pound dog here that I'll take your arm off if you come for me. Like, you know what I that mean? That is true. Never bit anybody, but I think if you came for me, that dog would probably spring into action. Um, yes. So that's the first thing. But then the second thing is, is it premeditated then? Like, because if Owen, again, we're going down that road. If Owen is in of the course. phone booth, there's the noise that brings Patty out of the house. Is Owen going to use the phone with his claw hammer in his hand? Probably not. Right? True. He could have gotten angry in the moment, but then I think he still would have had to travel some distance to get a weapon. But this is what I'm saying is that it's like, it would make sense if Patty had been murdered in his home. That it was like he yep. came back to find him or whatever. And then, but then of course we'd have all kinds of blood spatter, I'm sure, et cetera, um, in the house. So this is what I just don't understand. Because again, and then I say like, are they being lured somewhere? How are you going to lure him? It's the middle of nowhere. And also he has no love for you. So it's not like, hey, could you come help me out back with something? He'd be like, go to hell. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's the fact that there was like just no sign of anything. Yeah. And the idea that this was not pre-planned, the idea that it was just like it happened in the moment, like a moment moment of passion, but yet you didn't leave any evidence behind? Well, and what I could believe, I could believe strangulation. Sure. You're not going to hear that as as easily. You might hear right. it, right? But like there isn't the same kind of, of course, there could still be forensics, but you know what I'm saying? It's There's not a blood situation that you'd be looking for. But this is, again, why this is another reason why I'm like, I just don't know how much we can trust those recordings of Owen. I don't know sure. what I would be. I mean, I, I I live in a one of the biggest cities in the world and I bop around here. I don't make up songs about murder, obviously, but like, I don't know what what does isolation do to you? And I know not all of them were completely sure. isolated, but he certainly was. He talked about. When Fran went away that he like didn't leave the house. He didn't talk to anybody. Everyone in the town's like, we never talked to him. Can you imagine? Oh, yeah. There were some that were like, we don't even know who that is when they mentioned the name. In a town of 12. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, that's yeah. wild. So again, I I guess I just, I, I only additionally question how much we can trust him. Because he responded to the ad in September 2017, and yes. we know that Patty went missing in December. So yes. let's say October, November, three months-ish, let's say. Who knows? Who knows? Again, like, I just don't know. Was he, like, putting, writing himself a story? Like, I don't know. And this, again, I'm not suggesting that I'm saying he's innocent either. It's just, I just don't know how much we can trust. I don't know either that he's a reliable narrator. Sure. It's also possible he's just saying what he saw. Great point. And it wasn't him that actually did it, but he saw someone do that. Yeah. But where? But I just... Right? Yeah. It doesn't make sense. I mean, truly fascinating. Such a wild story. Yeah. And what characters. Um... Christy Oxborough, amazing work as always. We thank you so much for your time. 
your dedication, and for truly taking a ride on the chuckle bus with me. Oh, yeah. This was the full Chuckle Express. This was the Chuckle Express population dose. (laughs) In our town, there's only two. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Um, Well, listen, before we wrap things up, I just have to give us, I have to give us a shout out. But also all the listeners, because we hit a huge milestone last week. Yeah. We surpassed 10 million downloads of True Crime and Cocktails. What a true milestone. How amazing. Oh, yeah. The two of us started doing this just under three years ago. We haven't hit our three-year anniversary, which is coming up on the 13th, I believe. Yeah. Of October. Um, How amazing. Yes. It's- uh, Oh, it's- it's incredibly impressive. It's incredibly impressive. We thank everyone. We thank everyone who gave us every one of those downloads. We couldn't do yeah. this show without you. And and what a true, um, amazing achievement for literally uh, two gals who started doing this for fun in the pandemic, and now it's turned into something that has a complete life of its own. I mean, it's it's amazing, and I couldn't be prouder yeah. to be doing it with you, my chuckle buddy. There is. Uh... No one else I'd rather do it with. And now, Chuckle Buddy. Well, that's just going to be a thing now. I like that the Chuckleheads have become the Chuckle Buddies. It feels right. Well, we over time, we've grown closer. Yeah. Although, although I think we were very close when this started. Yeah. Um, but also, I guess Chuckle Buddies is just my new uh, bag of worms. I like that. I misspoke on a very common phrase. Well, a common phrase for us. Uh, And then the last thing I want to address very quickly is there is one more very important anniversary that I think needs to be recognized, which is it's the 60 year of Captain Crunch. And I bought this today and it says celebrate 60 years with the Cap'n. And I I want to say I spent so many, so many of my years having the inside of my, the roof of my mouth torn up by this delicious cereal. And uh, we're we're glad to know you, Cap'n. Um, do you want to? T- <laughs> I'm losing my mind. Uh, no, this is what I do now. We thank you yeah. so much for being here, dear listeners. Uh, it means so much to us. If you haven't already, give us a follow on the socials on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Your Crime and Cocktails on Twitter at Not Detectives. If you'd like some more. Chuckle Buddy Chucklehead content, go over to patreon.com slash true crime and cocktails for more information about our subscription-based service over there. And of course, the only place for official true crime and cocktails merch is, of course, truecrewmerch.com. So check that out. And I will be posting, obviously, as soon as the alien items are available. Christy, do you want of us course. to uh, tell the listeners about next week's episode? There's not one. Oh my word. <laughs> uh yeah. So there is not. Uh, an episode next week but we are back october 24th beautiful with lombard street haunting that's right it's spooky season and we're gonna get into it full throttle cannot wait for that um but until then christy do you want to say good night to the people good night mr feldman i apologize for the harassment good night cap and crunch Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. 
Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.